Welcome to the Next Step Podcast with Jay. And Brad. Wait. Wait. I'm Brad. I'm Jay. I'm an All act. Right. All right. Jay, put the phone down. Oh, I saw my text. Hello. So we're on. We're going to do a quick news um, because our Ask the Addict is not going to be Ask the Addict. It's going to be Ask the Normie. Actually, we're going to repeat an interview that we did with Peculiar People. That was a great interview. uh, They interviewed us. They interviewed us. We have a lot of new listeners. Thanks to um, Corinne and Neil uh, Mint Arrow, who broke anonymity and shared on their blogs. Yeah, so we have a lot of new listeners. Welcome. If you're new to our podcast, thank you for listening. Hopefully we entertain you. Just a couple regular guys that are trying to help spread the solution. And if you went back and she talked about, you probably didn't read her post because you don't like to read, (laughs) but she mentions how we talk about surf report, and I realized we haven't done surf report in over a month. And do you know why? Because there's been no surf. (laughs) I haven't even looked at my surfboards. I don't even know where they are. I don't even know how much wax I have in stock. Usually, like, every day, everything's set out the night before, ready to go because yeah. I go so early, right? Yeah. And, like, I don't even – someone texted me yesterday they want to go surf. I just quickly responded no because I'm, like, over – I'm, like, there, I know there's no surf. It's, like, 1 to 2. It's rainy. It's cold. It's, like, I don't even know what the report says. I think tomorrow says 2 to 3, but it's still – But crappy. even the weather comes in and messes it up. Messes like, there's it up. small windows of time, so it's – Yeah, like, if I was still going consistently, I bet, yeah, I could still score on a longboard, but there's more shark sightings, too, recently. Last week, there was three or four Great Whites at um, at Sano. One of my friends, she posted uh, right there in the shore break again. They haven't even left. It's not even summer yet. You don't need to share that part. Oh. Well, the, the, most of these people probably aren't even around here, but I'm just saying. I don't want to hear that. There's shark, there's low surf, bad wind, bad so, weather, and there's sharks. So that's why we have not had surf reports for the last uh, month, maybe month and a half. Wait till we get through March. Come April, May, I start surfing like crazy. We'll be talking about it all the time. I'm right now, I'm looking pale. Like, I look yes. green. I'm so white. You're pretty pale. But like, I'm addicted to the buff. gym again. You're looking pretty buff. I'm, uh, I've been lifting. You're and you just buff. recently uh, signed up for the gym. I did. I, Talk about a news flash. Da-na-na, I worked out da-na-na. last night. Wow. I went to the gym last night with my wife. Wow. And I'm not going to lie. It was fun. It was fun. You felt yeah. good, right? I did. Yeah. I didn't go too hard because I, I don't want to be, be like, sore the first I don't want to walk. So yeah. I spent some time on the bike. Yeah. Uh, I sent you a new video of some core workout to yeah, do. I haven't done those, but I uh, I walked around the gym and uh, checked it out. Checked it out. It's a little awkward for me. Yes. Yeah. Fish I, I out of water. I'm definitely it. a fish out of water. But then before you know it, you start growing gills, and you're, you're fine. But but I am going to work out just so I can surf better. That's fine. That's my goal. I w- you okay with that? I used to work out just to look good. I, I like to believe that I work out specifically for functional muscles, meaning, i.e., hitting the bag, physical exercise, or surfing, or if we, if we were in here right now and some guy walked in here while we were doing this, I would like to believe that the way I train is so that I can run over to that guy and break his neck. I would like you to... And not tire it. out and not be like, oh! Pin him down, hold him yeah, down. Yeah, pin him down. Gotcha. 
Well, let's do uh, so. Welcome, up. if you're new to the podcast, Anyways, we're just a couple of dudes. Go back to episode one, or actually keep listening because you'll learn about us yeah. at the end of this um, uh, about why we started the That's podcast. That's right. He, he gets pretty yeah. deep. He has some good questions about how we met, how we got, which we've covered before, but it's good for a refresher and talk about some new things. Yes. So I want to talk. What about, news do you have for um, me, Brad? Addi- addiction or church news? Your choice. Uh, church. Church news. Okay. So another podcast we frequented is Leading LDS. And very good podcast. He posted a good, uh, a good, uh, one of my article. most favorite ones. I've told you, you have spirit, very strong in that one. So his uh, article was, "Why does the bishop restrict the sacrament when someone sins?" And well, I we're talking about addiction day. recovery. This might come up. You know, when we we talked about in our meeting tonight, we talked about step five. We actually come in and confess. So yeah, my initial reaction, I'm not gonna lie, when I saw you post that on our Facebook, I was like, "Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that." Yeah, why was that your initial reaction? Because it's like to me, I look at the analogy of if a guy came to you and he has frostbite, are you gonna bring him close to the fire or like, you know, let him thaw himself out? Like I don't know. For me, it's like the the sacrament. I don't know. I just feel like it's it's only gonna help a person. And Did so you read the article? No, of course. Okay, not. so let me. So read that's why it I said you. my initial reaction. So you tell okay. me. Okay, that's why I posted it because I think that is a natural man's reaction. Yeah, is it's a punishment. Yeah. Like, I'm going to punish this. It's and, always come off that way. And I think it can be viewed that way and possibly... It has been restricted. Remember, I was this fellowship, so I went a whole year without taking this. So you did this. So this After happened After my mission, you. yeah, four so, years into my membership. So I, I could see that. I mean, if I... Bishop told me, I would think it's a punishment. That was a long, dreary um, year. Let me just say that. Okay, so... Um, this was so actually Kurt put it out to his community and got a lot of opinions on it. Good or bad. Um, both. So here's the here's the three main points okay. for reasons of sacrament restriction. Number one, the bishop is protecting the person from con- condemnation and protecting the sanctity of sacrament. And if you read third Nephi 18, 28, 29, it's pretty harsh by the, the consequences of taking the sacrament unworthily is pretty gnarly. Yeah. So that's the one reason. Number two, it's a wake-up call to the transgressor to change and return to the path of righteousness. Mm-hmm. And number three, it doesn't make sense to renew a covenant they aren't keeping. And those were the three. Um, and he gives a bunch of scriptures um, on that. So I'm going to read a scripture quote. I definitely from, think we, t- we treat the sacrament to, it's just like, it's like habitual, you know, like we just do it. Yeah. That was our family without meeting thinking with about our little it. Without children. Thinking yeah, about we it. just don't. There's been times in my life. I mean, granted, I have the little kids, so you know how our set. We sit right next to you. It's not easy to like pay but, attention. But to you it. know what? Your kids are pretty dang good. They are good. I'm just saying. I remember when I used to go to singles war. Like that was a big deal. Like I would put my phone yeah. down. I'm like repent. I'm like thinking of the things like I want to overcome. I've done that occasionally over the last seven years, but it's harder to do when you have young kids. You like go to start doing it, then ah, give me the goldfish, yeah. and like ripping, the, spitting. The moments out. are closer, but uh, I do think that I wake f- up of like, no, this is a serious thing. It's not just. A, That's what I'm saying. I don't feel like we all take. Like, at times, I think we can all take it very young. Yeah. So let me slime. read this quote from you. And tell me what you think. Now, this is uh, John H. Groberg talked about in a 1989 conference talk. What does it mean to partake the sacrament worthily, or how do we know if we are unworthy? If we desire to improve, which is to repent, and are not under priesthood restriction, then in my opinion, we are worthy. If, however, we have, been, have no desire to improve, if we have no intentions of following the guides of the Spirit, we must ask, are we worthy to partake? Or are we making a mockery of the very purpose of the sacrament, which is to act as a catalyst for personal repentance and improvement? 
if we remember the Savior and all that he has done and will do for us, we will improve our actions and thus come closer to him, which keeps us on the road to eternal life. So if bishops are the only restricted sacrament from individuals to protect them from condemnation, the message can easily cast shame on the transgressor. This is Kurt's words. What they have done has, in sense, angered God, and he is coming to them to deliver his hard justice. Hurry and hide from the bishop, and he will protect you from condemnation. The adversary is only one who desire. The adversary is the only one who de- desires us to hide. Yeah, I think about Adam and Eve, right? As soon as they took the fruit, yeah. so see that you are naked. So we uh, will post this up on our show notes. It's also on our Facebook page. In conclusion, I'm going to read Kurt's conclusion. In Exodus 12:43, it states, "And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinances of the Passover: There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that has brought forth money." which thou hast con- con- circumcised him, and then shall he eat thereof. When we sin, we become transgre- we, sorry. When we sin, we become strangers to the Lord, and as strangers we cannot, quote, eat thereof with the Lord until we have circumcised or, quote, sanctified our hearts and returned to him. Just like an individual being interviewed for baptism isn't being punished for their past sins so they can be baptized, an individual confessing in a bishop's office isn't being punished but encouraged to sanctify their heart and change. 35.9.20, we learn that the Savior only requires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He does not require an individual to suffer long enough so that he's suffering and sacrificing can begin. His grace is sufficient and will take 100% accountability for our wrongdoings. So when an individual has been restricted from the sacrament, they need to remember that they are not only required to bring a broken heart to sacrament meeting, rather than a clean report card. If they wait until they don't feel like a sinner anymore, justification, they will never make it to the altars of redemption, sanctification. Boom. That's a lot of words. That's what I was trying to say. It's like if you waited, you'd freeze to death, right? That, that's not what it's saying. Yeah. But I think our bishops are inspired to maybe wake up, maybe all those reasons. And yeah. and I would I would I just challenge. Hope I'm never in that situation. I don't want to have to make. That's a serious call. If we take to, it all serious, to have to make that to call. Have to make that call for someone. That's a lot. Yeah. So I would I would. Because sometimes was, I wonder, like, what I'm dealing with an addict in recovery, and they call you and they're doing the steps with you. They're like you're walking them through, and you call them on their BS. Like, and you're like, all right, go back and do it again. I've to, I've had to say that before. I said it pretty recently to someone. Like, dude, you're not done with that step. Like, sorry. Like, if you think you're done, then you're not done. Like, in a sense, like, for that specific case. And then I thought about it after. I'm like, man, am I being too? Like, am I just being? Did I really? But no, I think I I guess it would be the same way. Like, you feel I feel the spirit. Like, once you know the program, I think it's, I guess it would be the same for a bishop. When you, like, you get the whole picture, you feel like... Well, I don't, I don't imagine it comes easy for most bishops to say, you don't take it. You know, if if they're truly doing it as punishment, then they don't understand it. Yeah, yeah. But... Which happens. But... People are people. Could happen. Yeah, yeah. But but even then, could you learn from it? For sure. That's like I looked at my whole disfellowship. Remember, I've told you that before, like... Yeah. Dude... It was a great experience, whether it was done all in the right way or not. It didn't matter. Okay, this one was one that was in a group text to us about this device. This device about helping opiate yeah. and heroin addicts through withdrawal symptoms. Did you read that one that was sent? No, but I, you were probably driving today, right? It was like fizzy. Um, so it's this new device. Um, it's called the NSS2 Bridge. It's fitted behind the addict's ear as they go through withdrawals. And according to, this is kind of funny, according to a physician assistant, 
<laughs> at Odyssey House, a substance use treatment fighter. So probably not a super double-blind study. I don't know, but it's just like a physician assistant at a recovery place. Yeah. And a former Utah heroin addict was the first person to try it. I've pretty much been very, um, pretty much every substance I could get my hands on, this Burton said. He said that he was hooked on Oxy- Oxycontin for about a decade, which led to heroin use um, and device um, fit behind the ear, and it sends signals that that uh, that basically curbs those drawings, those withdrawals, the physical withdrawals. In last podcast, we talked about even a non-addict f- having physical withdrawals from taking opiates Seems for a like certain amount of time. Um, they have FDA approval, I think. You just gotta have the money to be the FDA approval. There's. I watched Dallas Buyers Club the other day, and that guy, okay. a poor guy, couldn't. Anyways. Um, well, it would be amazing. It's brand new. If it were, yeah. If it does if work. Double blind placebos is the key, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, Which they don't do. See, FDA, when you get approval, it's like, oh, let's go test it on the public, see if it sells. Are you sure they don't need it double blind? No, they don't need double blind. They're third, there's like certain classes, A, B, and C. Oh, when okay. You're in As a medical device. Yeah. Well, no, even with all medicine, too, like the third stage, that's why it says it may or may not. That's why they're, I was listening to this podcast the other day, they're saying that's why there's not like you say, I have depression. They're like, oh, cool, this is what you need to do. Like there's no specific, like your car's out of oil. Okay, put oil in it. Yeah. They just like, well, try this. We'll try that. Yeah. We'll try this. We'll try that. Because they don't really know. It's very complicated. There's a lot but of But a factors. device, a device I think might be different. Device could D- be. Different than medication. Yeah. A medical device. That's I'm what I'm saying. I, I like, yeah, I don't know, me neither, of course. But, but that, the, the, the sale, I mean, if you have a device that I plug in my head and I cure the crepe, like, what, you would sell trillions of those. You'd be a, you're a trillionaire. I mean, yes. this is the fastest growing problem in America. So if, if you have that, it doesn't, they say it doesn't work with any other addiction. Um, and, and they think that it became That's a standard product that. in helping opiate and heroin addicts go through withdrawals. So it doesn't cure. So it's not like a recovery device. because It's a not lot, a recovery like device. Shots, like, there's, there's shots, there's methadone, there's all these pills that are like, look at curbs your craving. Well, yeah, because you're still on an opiate. Yeah, you know. So that this is just the physical withdrawal. And they're saying like. it's like a wave that is shot, like some type it, of. It microwave. goes like hooks on your ear, and it goes like sends pulses to your brain. I don't know. Don't know much about it. Just saw it today, but I thought that was well, interesting. Real, I mean, we know magnetic waves and things are real. So who's to say that can't be? I don't know. But I do think even if it cures that, it doesn't cure. It won't keep you sober. Cope sober, as we read, and this is on our. Sh- and they're not claiming that. though. They're not so. claiming that. Um, but I guess I want to remind that uh, a quote that we read in our meeting tonight, that the in recovery meetings and as you're going through recovery, you begin to understand the, quote, tendencies towards negative thoughts, emotions, self-will, fear, pride, self-pity, jealousy, self-righteousness, anger, resentment, unbridled passion, and desires, and so on. Those are the real emotions that are the exact nature of our wrongs. Um, those are those don't get cured by a device. Yeah, those are those get those are what get put in remission, mm-hmm. in recovery. Yeah, and that's those are all the amplified desires of the natural man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if this vice does work and it's amazing, uh, it's not a cure for recovery. Yeah, it it just, just basically like, just helps like you recover, through. Just like detoxes in general, like. They're, they're necessary. They, they work. But, like, we all we have interviewed how many different people that say as soon as they got out of rehab, yeah. they were right back to it because it, anyone can be sober. Decops and sobering up are yeah, different. two different things, yeah. But that's yeah. cool, man. I mean, I think that with how big of a problem is, there, there's, there's, we should be doing more scientific. Because, you know, these things, obviously, life or death, so. Totally. 
um, new innovations with cell phones all day long, but like what, no one's really <laughs> rushing to get a, you know. So that would be amazing if it works. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on the podcast. I actually sent him an email. He's out of Utah? They responded back. They're actually out of Indiana. Really? Um, but KSL is the one. But they bumped on KSL because I think the first person who tried was it was in Utah, Utah okay. in a recovery place. In Utah. I mean, opiate addiction in Utah is huge. Prescription Recov- medication. The recovery centers in Utah is just because, probably because prescription abuse in Utah is the number. Is it, I think they're leading state per it capita. It might be. Um, I don't know how they were for is. antidepressants. I don't know and plastic surgery, but I don't know about the antidepressants. Sorry um, if you're from Utah. I'm not trying to like talk. Nope. I'm gonna mute this and just go for one more quick news because I I. If you sense the tone on our podcast um, of you know the uh, the ARP program is overseen by the L, the fam, the addict sorry the addiction recovery program in the church is overseen by the ALDS Family Services and across the country we've heard how uh, there's a disconnect between LA Family Services and the ARP yeah, yep. and they don't you know they they hear about our meeting or people even come to our meeting and like this isn't how the meeting is working in our area. Um, but I, but I, and I'll post this video up on our show notes. Um, a gentleman named Doug, I don't even know how to say his last name, Le Chominant, sounds foreign to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but he works for LDS Family Services, and you, he was at a CESE Summit video on helping those with um, specifically pornography and sexual addiction. But he was there was a non-church meeting, LDS, and, and they were there with professors and doctors from all over fields talking about addiction recovery. And he shared about our churches, the LDS Church's Addiction Recovery Program. He went through the history of ARP, how we adopted it in 1985, all those the Stuff dates that, that we that we always talk about. He confirmed them and says, this is how it started. Mm-hmm. And what is really neat is how that I, we're a big believer in is that the 12 steps of recovery are for whatever, whether you're pornography, sex, drug, and how the oh. heroin addict and the porn addict, they go through the same steps. They can relate to each other. And he talks all about that and the recovery that is found in 12-step meetings. And I was like, this is awesome. This is from totally. LDS Family Services preaching. Finally, out there preaching it. Yeah, like the, but, but they wrote the manual. And yeah. so I think there's a disconnect between the, where the manual is written in Salt Lake and out in the field. Out. Oh, this was actually written by the Family Services? Yes. Oh, wow. This book right here is written by so LDS Family Services. Really? And then, then the brethren just, like, stamped it or approved yeah. it? Yeah. I wondered who wrote it. Yeah, LDS Family Services But I wonder, wonder what guy it was, because it had to be. I, mean, I don't know. I'm going fi- to find out, but yeah, this guy might have been in it. the best researcher I've ever known. I'm going like, to find out, and I'm going to report yeah. back to you. Yeah, that'd but, be amazing but, but I do get the sense that sometimes the local, the local offices... M- I think they're not trained in 12 steps. They're trained I know, that's why I'm. That's why I want to know, because you know this was probably just one person or two people. Well, if you watch this guy, you, they get it. He gets it. I know, um, but I'm saying, just like AA, even though it was influenced by 100-something oh, yeah, members, yeah, yeah. but Bill's the one who put it all There's, together. Yeah, Bill and Bob are the ones that... And I guarantee this was, too. There was probably a collective body of, mm-hmm. the, of, the, of the family services, but there's probably one dude who was, like, leading it, or girl, and it would be interesting to find out who that was. I would love to find out who that person Because that is. person's really inspired, and that's why I want to know who that but it would is. Been probably in, still alive. It would have been in 1985. But they're probably still alive. Uh, Unless they're yeah. really old in 85. Yeah. So the year before I was born. But you know what? They probably don't put their signature on like Bill and Bob didn't put it all about them. That's true. So, But I get you. You could reach it. You'd find it if you looked. Um, if you called some of these people like this. I'm going to try to find out for you, Jay. You will. That's, you your new, that's your new research so product. That's our news. Um, we're going to get into share for uh, step, I believe we're on step nine share. And then we're going to post up at the end our interview with peculiar people. Apparently we're peculiar, Jay. 
We're definitely peculiar. And uh, you can link on to their podcast. We'll link on here. But you can learn a little bit more about our history and why we do what we do and say what we say. Boom. Okay. Till next time. Stay tuned. Ask the Attic. Jay, I'm an addict. Hi, Jay. Hi, Jay. Grateful to be here. Grateful to see the room filled up. Hopefully, we'll need a new room soon. And uh, grateful that I've uh, seen some faces I haven't seen in a while and um, seen some new faces. And um, I don't know. I just I love this program. I love this church. Um, there was a time in my life not too long ago that I couldn't say that. I, I, no, if I said it, it would have been a lie. And I said it, obviously, a lot. But... There was uh, just five years ago when my wife, who's now next to me, left me because of my pill addiction and a lot of other things. But that was one of the main things. Um, I had I lost my faith. I mean, like I was going to church, but I was going through the motions, and I was burning all the bridges, and relationships were just, they were almost non-existent with people because I was so consumed in my feeding my addiction you know it wasn't even it starts always for for me it started originally um with real pain but then it just progressed and it just led into you know eventually seven years ish after i took that first pill um only taking pills to not get sick like not at all to get high there was no i couldn't get high like you know like even if i did it was a very small moment and then i was sick and off to the next you know, bridge to burn, really. I mean, I, I burned so many friends, I burned so many family, and, um, and you know, I was just incapable of, of making reconciliation with anyone, honestly. And so when I first came to the program, I remember like the first time they read the steps, like one must have been my first month, right? Um, I remember like, I remember thinking like, how, how am I supposed to make amends to be, you know, like how am I gonna go through and write, like rewrite like all these things and like, and I. I just remember thinking that I burned so many people like it would take me forever to do and it was just a big thing and luckily though um, we read tonight and hear that you know you need to do this with a sponsor that's what I got from this you know and uh, running and rushing to make amends with people is not how the program works and if you're not on step eight then you don't need to worry about step nine at all because whatever step you're on you just need to complete that one and if you're doing this program the way it's supposed to the way it was told to me to do it is to just get a sponsor and work the steps with that person and, and use them as your guidance. You know, use them as your guide. I say this every week, but I think it's because it's so important. And I think because I myself always tried and still do to try and write my own, you know, like my, my own subscription to how I'm going to do things. And my ways are definitely not the Lord's ways. I promise you that. Um, and when you run out of excuses and justifications, what do you have left? And, um, I, I was a guy that would, I said this last week, um, I feel like eight and nine are so close, so it's like I'm repeating my, I'm trying not to repeat myself from last week, but I feel like when I first got sober, I just wanted to run and call everyone and just say, hey, I'm sorry, like, let's just, let's just water on the bridge now, like, look at me, I'm, I'm sober now, like, and I'd probably a week sober if that, you know, and uh, obviously I realized real quickly that that would have done a lot more harm than good, and another thing that my sponsor, when I started doing this stuff, said is that... I had never heard of the terms living amends, like for someone, like, how, like how, what does that even mean? And I'd never heard that terminology before. And, and it talks about here that there, it's not just for yourself, but there could be relationships and people out there that would cause more harm if you were to go and make amends to them and say sorry for the things you've done. It may, it may bring back old feelings for that person. And this program's not about just clearing your conscience and dumping it on other people. That's, that's not what this step's about. This step's about figuring out 
um, how to, yes, get things off your chest and right wrongs that you can. But it says in here, like, don't, don't be surprised that people aren't stoked to hear your phone call, you know, and if they don't want to talk to you, like, you just got to let people do what they want to do. And um, luckily, I had, didn't have any doors slammed or any phones hung up on me. But I think it's because I waited two years into my recovery to do it. You know, I think if I hadn't, if I had just called that first six weeks, first month, you know, first year, people would have been like, sure, I've, I've seen this Jay before that, that just does this, you know, like, you can, it's like a shooting star, right? What is a shooting star? It's super bright and it's amazing, but it burns out quicker than you see it. And you kind of wonder, did I see that or did I not see that, right? And that's how I was since I joined the church when I was 18. I was just bright, you know, go on a mission and then fall. This and then that, you know what I mean? And it was just like... I remember coming to this program and telling Lexi when she came back to me, I was like, I don't want to be a shooting star anymore. If that means I got to be the dimmest star up there and you can't even see me, then that's fine. But I just want to be consistent because that's one thing I have, was incapable of doing in my addiction and for most of my life was be consistent at anything. I quit anything that got hard. I looked for any excuses to justify th that quitting. And uh, I remember thinking, I just want to gain back a real testimony and a real relationship with God, not in a cheesy sense on Sunday, on Fast Sunday, and saying it just because it sounds good or it looks good or taking the calling because you want to fit in. I like want to do it because I want it. And you know what? I remember her I'm saying that to her, and, and you know what? It took time. It didn't happen. After that comment, it wasn't just like it just came. It took, <laughs> I'd probably say 18 months, maybe, to a year <laughs> of going to the meetings every week, staying sober, going to church every week with my family, starting a new career, like all these challenges, it didn't come at all, maybe that first 12 months where I really wanted to be there. But by the time we had moved into this ward, <clears throat> a little after a year into my sobriety, it started to come and, and, it, and it can still come. And don't get me wrong, it hasn't once again been a skyrocket, it's been this a little bit, you know? But I feel like my lows aren't as low as they used to be. And I, hopefully that makes sense. And I think that that kind of goes with this like running and apologizing, right? Because I just want a quick result. And um, this program is a program of action for sure, but it's also a program of patience. And the biggest patience I think we need to have sometimes is with ourselves. You know, we demand patience, you know, everyone to have patience with us, but like, do we really have patience on ourselves? Like, you know, are we trying to be just perfect all the time, 100%? Are we not willing, sometimes I'm not willing to speak up and say, like, I'm doing too much, I need to take a break. Like, sorry, so-and-so, I can't do this right now. It's not because I don't want to, I just got a lot on my plate. You know, these are things that maybe for the rest of the world, it doesn't matter, but if you're in this room and you're an addict like me, it can make a big difference in your life. It can make a big difference in your recovery and how long it's there. It can make a big difference with your family and everything else. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just grateful. I, I got to see, I surfed this morning. It was a great morning. But then Lex, I called my <laughs> wife and she said, oh, watching devotional, I can't talk. I'm like, oh, cool. I forgot about there was a time like we got a new prophet unfortunately like I, I i think when monson was called i don't i don't think i was really there you know like mentally and it didn't didn't really change anything for me and i i loved that man i mean i loved i felt the spirit many times i got to meet him in the mtc but i was at a place in my drug addiction that it's just crazy to look at in five years where you can be and, and where 10 years can take you in one year six months or one month i don't care the point is this program is amazing and it works if we have patience and if we trust our sponsors. So if you don't have a sponsor, you're doing yourself a dis uh, disservice. And to be honest, I don't even, you can't really work this program. I, at least I've never seen anyone do it without one. So um, if you don't have one, stay after. Come to talk, listen to people share. And if you've heard someone say, like, I'm working the steps and I'm on certain step, you like what they're sharing, you feel connection with them each week, go ask them to help you. 
they, I, I promise you there's a lot of people in this room that will sacrifice their time to walk you through the steps because that was either what's being doing for them right now or what they're, you know, that has been done. So I'm grateful for this uh, meeting once again, and I want to turn the time over to everyone else and just thanks for letting me share it. I'm jamming act. time my questions will be more targeted to like who you are and like how you got to this point where now you have this podcast about addiction recovery about about mormon-esque stuff or just everything we'll wherever we tangent i tangent i like wherever you guys go i'll go with you you so sometimes a little bit like you want to focus anything or just i have questions okay but i don't think i don't think they're questions that you'll need to have read before because you've heard them before okay but um so I'll, I will read those questions okay. at some point, but it'll be super conversational. It's not anything that we'll need to like, you'll need to be prepped before. I, don't, I don't think. That's how we do. We, but uh, it's a podcast. It's not live, so we can go back yeah. and forth. If I'm looking at my phone, it's because I'm answering an email. So <laughs> like I'm ignoring it. Like, <laughs> That's totally I'm on, I can still do both. And I'm on Instagram, so <laughs> yeah. I'm technically still doing work I'm right talking, now. If, I, if I'm looking at my phone. If I go like this, I'm like, hey. Because I'm <laughs> bored. Just go with it, man. Just talk to <laughs> him. Run out for 10 seconds. Oh, oh, okay. We do that when we're we doing the night. I see him walk out the room, and I just, we just keep talking. Yeah. Or someone says something shocking to me, and I'm like... When Jay gets <laughs> back, he would tell you this. He would tell you that. He knows. Yeah, he knows my answer. He had to, to take a call. <laughs> All right. Welcome into the Peculiar People podcast, everyone. I'm Nate Jones, your host as always. I'm sitting down today with Jay and Brad of the Next Step podcast, and I'm really excited to have you guys on. Thanks for taking the time today, guys. Sweet. Thank we're you. excited to be here. Thanks for coming out to our neck of the woods. Yeah, I know. We're sitting down in, I guess, technically we're in Irvine, California. Yeah. yeah. South Orange County. Yeah, in a in a the better half of Orange County. The better half of Orange County. Uh, are you going to offend half of like your listenership by saying I, that? Well, actually, we don't have that much. Have here. you been around Orange County since you've been here? Well, Is actually, this, I've have I've had family that lives in Orange County. You've been in Huntington Beach, right? Yeah, I was in Huntington. We're staying well, Huntington in Huntington State. Beach. Okay. I like Huntington yeah. Beach. It's okay. It's okay. So, how would Orange County people define like the the good and p- bad part of Orange County? Oh, they I just mess around. A lot of people, like, I have family that lived on the border in L.A. and Orange County, so south L.A., north Orange County, and, like, when me and my mom moved, first moved here in 95, they, like, gave us crap, like, oh, you're now in the uppity, you know, whatever, or you guys yeah. think you're... You know, everyone judges state. everybody else. And what everyone, is that border, like, Long Beach? No, uh, so right here, pretty. I think Irvine, pretty much, Newport, yeah. Irvine. There were the freeways all combined right here. It used to be called the El Toro Y. Yeah. Was it called that yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah. Okay, so El Toro Y, where it kind of splits the 405 and 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and so South Orange County is from there. South oh, I'm so, so glad that we're also at. getting into the freeways now, too. We were joking yeah. on the way yeah. over. It's like, we, we're not Californians until we start talking about how we got to someplace. Yeah. Take the 405 to the 5. Yeah, what was yeah. that? Turn left Californians. Yeah, they're not Californians. Mahone Drive. Yeah, exactly. That's how it is. Yeah, okay. The stereotypes are real. Where does it end on the south side? 
Sekulini. Sekulini, because then you go to the military base, and then now you're in Oceanside. So really, it's a small little stretch from here where you're at right now to Sekulini. Okay. South. So now that you have the now that we have the geography down, Boom. which is really important. Yes, everybody absolutely. Knows. The weather is actually better here. Too. It's really fun though too because like sometimes I'm podcasting from New York, Utah, but this is our first actual physical really Southern California podcast. So no pressure, but you guys got to do it better than anywhere else. All right, naturally. We, we do have a pretty good listenership from yeah. Southern California or California in general. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Well, they're we expecting a lot our, out of you. Our most dear listeners, members, Mormons, are you? You know they don't they don't necessarily do always tell so? me that, but. I would imagine it's either, you know, it's implicit that it's an LDS-leaning podcast, so I would imagine mostly. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, we have a lot of Utah listeners, but we have good substantial amount that is um, California, New York, and then we have a bunch of countries in Europe for some reason. Isn't that crazy? We get Non-English speaking cuss. I'm like, how do they understand what we're talking about? I hope it's a bunch of rogue missionaries. That's what I think. Because like some of them are like, they're Afghan. Like, it's crazy spots. I'm like, how do, I don't even know. People I want to be that podcast there. they can listen to on their P-Day, you know, where it's like just a little bit edgy. Yeah, that'd yeah. be amazing. If they're real rebellious and they listen yeah. to religious podcasts. How dare they? Yeah, so rebellious. So rebellious. Well, I know there's been a couple curse words get through on my podcast so they'd be they would be that. <laughs> my, my daughter is on her mission i send her she's so she gets home wednesday by the way oh wow. but, but i send her like imp, uh, mp3s of the podcast but she always writes like tell jay to stop swearing on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> the i have a beep rough. machine i use it all the time oh really I just yeah. got some youtube boop, that i throw in every now and yeah, then yeah well, I, I try. We so just get real. <laughs> I, try. I don't try. But I try to try. Okay, so great when segue. <laughs> Let's get real. <laughs> Let's get real. Um, Jay and Brad from the Next Step Podcast. I didn't preface this for you, and yeah. I probably should have, yeah. but the question, if you've heard my podcast, the question I ask every guest okay. when they come on is, what makes you a peculiar person? So we can start. Well, who do wants to, to start? Do you want me to describe Jay? Or you, do you want me to describe oh, myself? Oh, yeah, you go, 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 go first on yourself. What, what makes, makes you, me peculiar? Yeah. Well, lately I get the term, I'm a normie. Yeah. What does that I, mean? And that's something I've been wanting, I was going to ask Jay, you. Jay, describe what that means. Because I didn't self-identify. I'm kind of starting to self-identify as a normie, but... So in Alcoholics Anonymous or AA culture, like anyone who's not an addict or an alcoholic, is you, they're a normie, right? There's just two, it's, make it real simple. AA Got is it. all about making it simple. So Brad being someone who's never suffered from addiction to a substance or anything like that, he's a normie. Simple. So, in, and in what we do for our podcast and with addiction recovery, I'm, I, I'm peculiar because I've never been inebriated in my life. So never. I grew up in Southern California, except for the one time I talked about last podcast about at the dentist office on a preschool activity. Oh, yeah. I think I considered... When he was younger. Does that, in, does that, can, does that count? No, no, I don't no. know. No, but that's how, that's how big of a normie he is. That that's, that's the that's only great. thing he can try to like, relate to. Yeah. And, I, and I remember like one time when I was a kid, I had this cold, right? And right. So my mom, and she was like, she gave me this blue liquid, and she was like, take that. And I was fine. I, I, I just go to sleep when that hits me. Yeah. Okay, um, cool, and then cool. I do remember my first energy drink. I was at ASR, Action Sports Retailer. You're in retail. Do you know what ASR I was? I heard of it. Yes. Okay. So ASR doesn't defunct anymore, but I was there working Never at a friend's booth, and they were giving out energy drinks. I was just thirsty. I was dying of thirst, so I drank two of them, not even thinking, and I was like, what? in sleep yeah. the entire night. So that's That'll probably... grab you by the horns. So those, those are peculiar on the, on the drug usage aspect or the addiction usage. Um, I'm a yeah. Southern California native. I'm uh, born and raised here, except for my time at BYU and my mission in Washington, D.C., cool. where your girlfriend is from. I served in her hometown. Hi, What's girlfriend. Up? Go ahead, say hi. Ashley, if you want to say what, just say hi. You You've been holding in so many laughs because yeah. this is so funny. Now you, now you can be able to laugh freely. Yeah, feel free time. to chime in. Yeah, uh, questions uh, you can. Peculiar. Uh, 
and I worked, um, if you went to BYU, you probably know about pest control or alarm or whatever sales. I sold pest control to oh. pay for myself through college. But I traveled and lived in different areas. And I every time I travel, I'm like, could I live here? Could I live here? Um, but I just came back to where I was from because I, I, I can think of a few places that I would want to raise a family. So I literally bought a house down the street from where I grew up in the same neighborhood. That's pretty peculiar. So OC for life. Yeah. OC for life. Um, we both have that pattern. Do you? In a place I can't show you. Where, like lower back? No. Okay. <laughs> cool. Which cheek? The right. Right his cheek. Is the left. Yeah. Yeah. That's his goofy foot. And it's his right. arm and your arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like you it make just an O going. and a C. It's just getting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Here's the visual. <laughs> He's got a C with One half of our body is going to be tatted and the other half and it will just yep. link. Uh, okay, so Jay, what about you? What makes you peculiar? Besides having a butt tattoo. Of Behind a butt ass? Of, uh, okay, well, um, I joined, let's see, I'm a convert to the church, so I grew up right here, um, and I joined when I was 18, 19 years old, and um, grew up with no religion in my home, and uh, first learned about, I didn't, I know nothing about Mormons besides what I would hear randomly, which is not very often, even though there's, it's actually really strong membership right here in South Orange County. Growing up, I knew no one that was LDS, and so... Um, I didn't think that anyone lived the way Brad lived, like, or the way now I live. And as far as, like, going to high school, being sober, and um, not doing it just because it's a rule, like, they actually enjoyed being sober and not partying and stuff like that. So I joined the church when I was 18, went on a, a mission a year and a half later, and on my mission is where I first had my first real surgery. I had sinus surgery, and I got addicted to painkillers. And uh, my memory, Where did you serve? Uh, I served in the Philippines originally, oh, wow. and then Seattle is where I had my surgery. So I stayed on a mission, tra transferred there, and um, that's kind of where the rest of my life ended up being altered. But, I mean, still stayed, obviously, in the church, but, like, struggled after that on and off for, for seven-plus years. Still managed to get married in the temple, but still struggled with painkillers and a lot of other things. And um, eventually... Five years ago, my, my life changed forever, where my, my current wife, who I was married to, and still married to now, thank God, um, my addiction had gotten so bad that she, we were pregnant with our second child. I was going to school at LDS Business College. I just got accepted at BYU, Hawaii, did one semester, and she's like, I'm done. Like, I, can't, I can't live with you. I can't be a part of this anymore. I want a divorce. I hate you. And that's kind of what started what we're probably about to talk about, which is our podcast and recovery and everything. So... Perfect. Let's let's get into that. Neither one of you can kind of kick it off, but um, tell me a little bit about how you met and how you guys decided to. Hey, we want to share um, not only like our our story or connect over this uh, addiction recovery, or um, maybe let's go back a little bit to how you you got involved in addiction recovery programs and how you felt like. That's something you needed to share and yeah. using a podcast to do it. Well, we so first met on the LDS dating set. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you get, you get, you Mutual didn't off. exist at that well, point. Well, you wanted to, Jay, talk about how you got introduced to ARP. Yeah, and so also, if you can and then I'll fill in when you move to and talk. Yeah, work. yeah. It's, it's shaking it really. yeah. Um Okay, so like I was saying, so my wife left me. She's like, I want nothing to do with you. I need to separate. We had one kid and another one on the way. When was this? This was 2012. Okay. And, uh, so we, you're a pretty young guy. How old yeah, are you? Yeah, 31. So, so we're the same age. Yeah. Okay. okay. So how old are you, Rick? Like thirty-five. Yeah. Ninety-five. <laughs> you look um, good. Looks good. Whatever his age, he surfs better. Than I almost made a comment of like, "Oh wow, pest control! You must have lived, been like the first company to ever do it." But. Well, it was probably the second company <laughs> back when they were like yeah, yeah. mixing the chemicals. We were. We were. Great. I was there at the time when they were starting that. Okay. Um, I'm forty-seven. Okay. Great. Just turned forty-seven. 
That sounds which is the new twenty seven. Exactly. So. Most of the forty year olds around here look better than the twenty year olds. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Huh. Go ahead. Uh, so I got into recovery because not by choice. In fact, I believed even though my life was so unmanageable that my wife who was pregnant with my kid wanted nothing to do with me, I still believed I didn't have a problem. You know, I had I was getting my drugs from doctors, so I was like, hey, this is this is needed. I wasn't drinking anymore, I wasn't doing um, you know, street drugs or anything like that. I was just taking medication, abusing medication. But I figured if I could just get my um, dosage down to a certain level, like I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't an addict. I just had chronic pain. I had anxiety because by then I was on all sorts of different pills. And um, when she left me and we separated, I took her back to her family's house and I moved back to my mom's house and slept on her couch at 26 years old with her dog. It was depressing. It was worse. I lost everything I had worked really hard to get, like my scholarship, everything. And uh, I was faced with, you know, two options. I, that's how I looked at it. It was either <clears throat> no option was getting her back. I didn't, she wanted nothing to do with me. So I finally accepted the fact that I was either going to keep going down this path and lead to, because now I'm running out of money, right? I lost all my scholarships, which I get money from loans and stuff. So I have nothing now. So I either, but yet I had like a $300 a day habit or more of, of pills. So it was either going to be going to street drugs like heroin, you know, to get my fix, or I was going to get sober and at least be a good dad to my kid. Because you had... Because I had a kid. I had a one-year-old and, and another one on the way. Wow. So a two-year-old and another one on the way. And it was like... So, and luckily I had a buddy who was also, same story as mine. I, uh, he went on a mission and got addicted to painkillers through a legit surgery, not on purpose. Like, this is something that happens frequently unfortunately and uh he had his life had been riddled with addiction since his mission as well and he was massively addicted to and everyone in his life kind of cut him out he wasn't married but he was going to this meeting down in San Clemente which is just a little bit south of here and he said hey there's a church a type meeting you need to come with me that was it so sorry and what did you think bit. about that like because I thought he needed it, but I didn't. This right. is how crazy it was like I lost everything and yet I still what, thought what, when you when he said it suggested a meeting though I, well, first thought that went through my mind, I'm like, sweet, this is a good way to get my wife back. Like, this is a good uh -huh. way to lie and manipulate and, like, and, and, and pretend like I... Because at this point, I still had never said I had a problem out loud, ever. Yeah. I, I, I knew I had problems, but my problem wasn't drugs. It was the amount of drugs. Or it was if I could just figure out this answer to this. Or I don't know. There's all sorts of excuses. But So originally, I was Was like, it an AA meeting or was it a... It was a church's ARP meeting. Okay. He had been going to A for you, and, and he asked me to go. And even though I was so rough at the around the edges at that point, I didn't want to go. I was like, I knew that I was already so fragile that if any influence of outside the church, well, I was probably going to just leave at that point. Like I was losing everything. Right, my if, testimony was almost gone. If you too. went to a secular AA meeting, you yeah, would, I mean, they drink and smoke coffee, like you know, or drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. Like that's something I used to do too. So it's like if I get around, and in a way, those that, are would, coping mechanisms too. Yeah, and I, I knew I'm not stupid. I would. I would go right back to that too. So, so can you just explain? Because yeah. not everybody listening may know, you know, the like what AA is versus what uh, like an ARP program is. Particularly, like what does that stand for? All like yeah. All so ARP stands for Addiction Recovery Program. It's basically a church-sponsored meeting um, that they twelve-step twelve-step meeting. So the twelve steps were um, introduced in ninth in the nineteen thirties by uh, Bill Wilson. Um, who wrote the Alcoholics Anonymous book, right? Who started AA, basically. He's one of the founders of AA. Is that what you guys refer to as the big book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we have our own manual that the church basically got approval to take the 12 steps of AA and uh, implement God into it, and all of our scriptures, and Nephi, and Mormon, and whoever. Do you know when, when that happened? 85. 
1985 is when they got approved. So our, our church re addiction recovery program has been around and evolving since 85. Unfortunately, that, no one knew about it, though, really. Because, like, I was born in 86. Your reaction, about it. Your reaction so, is... Your podcast. Your literally. reaction was my reaction, and I'll go in a little later. Yeah. Your look on your face was like, are you serious, since 85? Yeah. Like, no, I joined I the church no in 04, and I was a kid who had done drugs since 11. Why wasn't this manual handed to me with the Book of Mormon saying, hey, read both of these, and your yeah. life's going to work out? So a little bit of background, too, because a lot of Mormons don't know, is AA was Alcoholics Anonymous. Twelve steps were developed by Bill and Bob, um, basically based on Christian uh, fellowship with this group called the Oxford Group, which is a very, uh, very dedicated Christian group. Um, they watered down the Christian Christianity aspect of it because they wanted to... I mean, this is right after Prohibition. It was right after Prohibition, so there was depression... And prohibition it just stopped. So they were alcoholism was a massive Crazy. problem, and it was in there was insanity. You get locked up in an insane asylum, and so they were one yeah, alcoholic. You had a drinking problem back in the day. They just send you off to padded walls. That's it. Yeah, there was no like wow. they didn't even take you to jail. They, if you'd been to jail a couple times in the drunk tank, then eventually they just you were mental. You were, you were mental. Yeah. And they lock you up and no one saw you again. So oh, this was the Crazy. first time where they're actually seeing recovery, um, and so it was only alcoholics. And then it's grown since then. So we have. There's NA for Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Undereaters Anonymous. Like, there's an anonymous for anything. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, Overeaters Anonymous? Yeah, Do I need gnarly. to go to that? So no, there, there's yeah. anonymous for, for anything. And the, the thing that was intriguing with me is your, your buddy Xander, who's been on our podcast, he, yeah. he went through yeah, speeding. I think I listened to one He of went to AA, but he was an opiate addict. But he would go and when instead of saying, I'm an alcoholic, he would say verbally, I'm an alcoholic, but... In his mind, I come an opium at it, but the principles are still the same no matter what. And so, what yeah. the church did, which I think is uh, obviously inspired. inspired, is it's general addiction. So Anything. you fill in the blank, whether it's A, B, C, D, or E. Addiction is addiction, um, and there are some areas of the church where they've spaced off and they do gender only sex and pornography addiction. Um, but we're outside of Utah where there's not a ton of meetings. I think they do that inside Utah where there's a chapel in every corner. Um, but outside, we've realized that most people don't know that the 12 steps inside the church even exist. And if they do exist, they're not running very effectively. The only thing that I had heard of from a bishop once um, was about some of the programs for pornography addiction. Yeah. Because my generation, obviously, yeah. in this mm -hmm. day and age, like that is a, number, a huge... And I think that's probably part of the reason we got in touch was an episode we did with Clay Olson, who runs Fight the New Drug, which is basically a... Um, it's a nonprofit dedicated to talking is about. Yeah, is everyone yeah, on Fight the New Drug Mormon? Yeah. Not everyone, no. Okay, but um, a really good friend of mine works for him. Okay, um, and I actually went. He, I went to the same high school as Clay Olson. Okay, and he's a couple years, uh, like three or four years older than yeah. me. Um, so I didn't know him, but um, yeah, and, and and they sort of keep the religion thing out yeah. of it it's for the most part. Tell. Um, but. Just in talking to him and his personal thing, things, and, and we kind of talked a little bit about it. It's like, yeah, there's been um, pornography and sexual addiction uh, resources for a long time, but I also feel like it's sort of one of those subjects that are a little bit taboo to even talk about within sure. the church for a long time. That um, it's it's not that it wasn't available to you, but it, it was. it's so it's underground no one wants, no that nobody would want to talk I mean, about it. Yeah. And it's an important yeah. thing to talk about, whether it's that addiction or, or yeah. any other yeah. addiction. But I know part of it, part of it, I don't know um, what your take on this would be, is the whole anonymous portion and trying to maintain yeah. it, like, if you want to. 
That's, that's um, what, our last episode. Did you listen to that? I did listen okay. to your last so that's, episode. So that's where it started. So I went to the ARP meeting, and um, it was a general addiction meeting. So the guys, that, there was only four or five people going to it at the time, maybe seven on a big night. And now there's like over 30, it eventually got up to 30, 40 people every week. I mean, but that had been running for five, seven years at that point. And now it's finally gotten to the point where now all these meetings exist because of kind of that one initial mm -hmm. meeting where we went to get sober. I went to literally just get my wife back and manipulate the situation. And then I realized that wasn't going to happen. So I started listening to people's stories. And before you know it, just like most people, I, I started to identify with their shares. It wasn't that I... Man, I was, I was detoxed. I, I ran out of money. So five different prescriptions, 1,000 prescription pills a month of five different types of drugs, and then all of a sudden I had none of it. And so I didn't have a choice. I was just detoxed. My brain wasn't really working. But So I couldn't really read the book. I, you know, I was like literally gone. And so, But I would sit there, and I was angry, and I was pissed off at the world. But there were people would go in a circle, and they, this guy would share about his life, this, and which I had nothing to do with. This guy's a lawyer. This guy's a doctor. This guy's like a construction worker. None of us had similar backgrounds at all except for all the crap in their life. All, their, all the things that they destroy in their life was similar, and right? And it's all the relationships. And so that's what kind of happens in these meetings is you get a unique, uh, you think you're unique when you walk in and then all of a sudden you start to listen and you go, I identify in this person's story, even if it's a girl or a guy, I identify in this old guy, young guy. And then before you know it, I go, oh my gosh, wait a minute, I am an addict. I, I do have a problem. I need to figure this thing out. And then as soon as I did that, life started to change. So... I, I know I'm listening to an episode that you guys did recently talking about self-identifying. Yeah. Uh, at what point in this process were you able to have, like, I, is that, the, do you think the hardest thing for addicts is to, is to say, yeah. I am an addict? Yeah, yeah. And how did, how did that happen for you? Because it sounds like, um, you know, you're justifying away a lot of your behavior. Sure. Um, and, you know, with painkillers especially, it, it, may feel like something like, well, the doctor's giving this to me. Yeah. Like, how did you get to that? Well, like I said, I got to a point where, like, I had so much pain in my life physically, like, actual real pain that, like, when you go to, like, all these specialists and doctors and they go, well, surgery's not the way out of this pain, I can't really, I, we know you have pain, I can see your nerve damage, but there's nothing literally I can do for it. And so they, they pull out their pad and go, hey, you just got to take one of these every four hours, and that's just going to be your life for the rest of your life. And by the way, try to eat better this, that, and the other, and you do all those things and nothing helps. Um, eventually you just, you go, okay, I'm going to, I'm, listen, I don't want to live in pain. Right. And we're told, I was told, you know, that, you know, no one wants to be in pain, obviously. And so that's kind of how it started with me. Like I, I had legitimate reasons. However, um, when modern science, like medical, which, you know, the surgeries and things couldn't change it. Physical therapy didn't do anything like, um, like chronic headaches, for instance, like, you know what I mean? Like those were, they've been in my life since I was a youngest memory as a child. Um, and a doctor that you look up to that's LDS in Utah says, Hey, take this. You're not, God doesn't mean, you know, you're not supposed to have pain. I'm, I don't want to take painkillers. I had that on my mission. And they go, well, Hey dude, reality is like, not everyone's that's like, God doesn't want you to be in pain. Take this. I'd eventually start buying into that type of stuff. And then before you know it, you become physically addicted no matter what. And so, um, so it's a self-identifying was huge because most addicts, no matter what, drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, overeating, overspending, depression, no one, uh, LDS or not, wants to really take, when we take ownership for our life, that means you got to do something. It means work is about to come. So once again, our brain is designed to avoid pain and maximize pleasure, right? That's why so many of us are addicts in this day and age. 
And so when, when we identify, it now puts it all on you, right? You're no longer a victim. And you're, now you become an agent that has to either do something. Be accountable or for it. Yeah, you have to be accountable for it uh, or deal with it and accept it. So when you finally identify, that's why step one is honesty and like admit that your life's unmanageable because of fill in the blank. Is that why at a, like a typical AA meeting, they, you would say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Mark built, and yeah. I'm an alcoholic yeah. or so I'm addicted? Go, go listen to our podcast if you're intrigued on this. We go into detail. But step one, admit that you yourself are powerless to overcome your addiction or your behavior, whatever it is, and that your life has become unmanageable. So, so you're you say to admit that you basically you can't recover without doing that? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're if you're an addict like me, I can only speak for myself, my experience. But if you're someone that, and by the way, it started with opiates, but then once I got sober, this was proves that uh, it's more than just um, your, it's more than just whatever brings you into the meeting. Because like what brought me in was pills, right? Yeah. But then like I got so like I got sober and mm-hmm. I made it a year, but yet my life was still unmanageable. So it proves that if it was just pills. If it was just alcohol, if it was just sex, if it was just pornography, if it was just gambling, if it was just these things, all that I'd do is stop that, and my life would just magically work itself out. Right. That's not the case. And so to identify and to stop an action is not really enough, and that's what I found out. You actually have to do some work and go figure out what's the root of the issue, and I found out real quickly, like most people do, once I identified as a quote-unquote addict, that was just a humbling experience for me to admit that I'm imperfect, because most of us have a problem with even saying something. That's why... Non-addicts and addicts don't like saying that in the beginning because they're like, whoa. It's like there's so many levels of insecurity that come up when you say that. But when you do that, like I said, it puts the ball in your court and now you're able to identify drugs and alcohol weren't my problem. They were my solution. But I looked at them as a problem. So therefore, if I stop that problem, life will work itself out. I found that after a year sober, yeah, a lot of things worked itself out. My wife came back. I got a great job, career, family, friends. However, I still woke up with anxiety. I still had a hard time dealing with stress. I still had, and I found out that drugs were never really my problem. They were my solution. And I had to figure out a new way to solve um, these insecurities, fears, issues, and things that were still coming up because that's life. And so most of us that are addicts or alcoholics were never really taught at a young age or never really developed uh, ability to deal with problems effectively. That's why, we lo- that's why we found ourselves in something that sol- we felt solved it or inebriated ourselves from that problem. So do you think for you then, or for generally the people that you've spoken to, because you know, you're know you so much more close to this issue, yeah. having done this for a while, um, there's a, there is, because a, a lot of people will say, you know, like alcoholism runs my family, or, yeah. or the, is there a real genetic link to it, or is the genetic link perhaps, um, a, or would you say that there's, there's more nurture where like people aren't there's definitely both uh, so they've definitely proven with science like I mean genetics is key with almost everything yeah. I mean everything from cancer to this right so almost all diseases almost they're starting to figure out yeah eating healthy and all stuff is good and that helps and it can lower things but reality is like genetics are a big thing or a big factor and um, but so is nurture so is your environment your environment yeah. is huge in fact I would say I find that like awe-inspiring about what you're saying just about you know not have not really being taught like Tools yeah. to manage difficult And maybe they were taught. I should go back and say that because maybe it was taught, but maybe it was my inability to to apply it. Like we yeah. all know, like we all we all know people that have a lot of knowledge about the church, right? Yeah. They have a lot of knowledge of the principles and how good they are, but you watch them not live it anymore, right? Yeah. So that proves that knowledge is not enough, right? We have to actually be able to physically and mentally and spiritually kind of figure out a way to apply it to everyday life. If you can't find that link, then you're more likely gonna 
separate yourself from that knowledge, whether it's anything. Like, we're not even talking about addiction now. Like, if, if you separate your knowledge from knowing that you should put oil in your car every seven, you know, however many miles, right. your car's going to break down. It's just the way it is. So I was taught um, the correct principles, just not religious principles, but I was correct how to be a good person, that life struggle, all stuff. But for whatever reason, I never really linked to it. And I had a lot of enabling people in my life that when life got difficult uh, helped help me out and they thought they were helping me out by solving the problem for me and that's pretty common with addicts too is that somewhere in our life or childhood or loved ones spouses or whatever there's um once again we just didn't know really how to um how to really uh deal with stressful environments or situations mm -hmm. and keep working through it mm -hmm. most of us our behavior was running from it you know like okay this didn't work out so i quit and, well, I go here. and I think most of the people listening to this will be on that side of it where they're, they know a loved one or they, yeah. you know, more than actual addicts. And it's like, how do you best help someone so, like that? So yeah. that's, that's where I come in is Jay moved into our, my neighborhood and our ward. Okay. And within the first couple of weeks, he stood up and bore his testimony. And, you know, they're like the model OC family, right? Like two little cute kids, yeah, one of the wife, like come in there sharp dressed. And he's like, oh, cool, the new guy's sharing his testimony. And he bore a great, bore a great testimony and then closed by saying, mentioned something about ARP and 12-step. I'm like, what is that? What are you talking about? And then he said that something about prescription medication and if you have a problem, come talk to me. There is a solution out there. And that just really, because in our church cultures, the, we're saints. You know, right. we don't air our dirty laundry. If, if what we pray about is we lost our keys, we said a prayer, then we found it, and woo, prayer works. Um, but it doesn't get real as often as, as we like. And when people do get real and really share those testimonies, I love it. So um, he might have mentioned something about surfing, whatever. And so uh, we got, I, I learned he lived at the street. I'm like, let's go surfing. And I'm like, I, I like to ask a lot of questions. So tell me about this 12-step meeting you go to. It's in San Clemente. And all these things are going through my mind because, again, this is the, the neighborhood I grew up in. I've and this was for when? Three years three ago. Years ago. Years three years ago. Roughly. Maybe. Yeah, three, three yeah. now. Um, so going through my mind is I'm thinking all my family members, my friends, people that I've known in the ward that are addicted to drugs, alcohol, whatever, and no solution. And I, what do I help? Oh, pray about it. Maybe you should read your scriptures more. Like my solution was they should go to church. You should pray more and read your scriptures more. Right. That's like classic. That, that'll get rid of everything, right? Yeah. Um, but it didn't work for most people. And I can, I can think of a few people that I knew really close um, and with different callings I had in my ward. And I remember one person had mentioned some meeting, addiction meeting that they went to in San Clemente. And I wondered if that was the same meeting. And I, when I was talking to Jim, like, oh, that's what that meeting is. Okay. And then as I... Ask more questions about how is it related to the 12-step meetings that I see in the movies. Yeah. You see in the movies, and yeah. oh, they're sitting in a circle. My name's Bob. I'm an alcoholic. Right. Or you see they're, like, at some function. All of a sudden, they go, I got to go to a meeting. And then they go, and they're sitting in that circle. I had no idea how that worked. Like, why does that work? And so asking Jay, and he's explaining it to me. And he could tell I was intrigued. Yeah. And so Jay's like, why don't you come to a meeting with me one time? I'm like, yeah, I would love to. Can I go? Am I allowed to? He's like, yeah. I don't know how long it took for me to do that. I don't know. Yeah, I think you were also intrigued too. One thing that he was intrigued with, he's like, "So you only have we only oh, yeah. have one meeting a week?" Yeah, because like AA, that was after I went to website. You could go to one any day, yeah. and, go, and three different times a day, like morning, yeah. lunch, and dinner, right? Like our evening meetings, and like we had one that was really had five to seven people going consistently, and that was huge, you know. And yeah, that surprised me. I'm like, so wait, in the movies, 
people go like all the time. Yeah. And, and I wait once a week to go there to feel relief because like in the beginning, like your only time for most addicts and alcoholics, the only time they feel relief is when they're sitting in a room with people who get them. Right. Cause once again, not everyone full, they do if you can really break down the barriers with people, but we all know that in social situations, you can't really get that deep all the time with people. So like mm -hmm. to get past that and it's like all left, egos are left at, well, not always, but the egos generally are left at the door. At least it's practice to do that and come in here and just get real. You know, it's like the most real experience I had ever had in the church. And I had a lot of spiritual experiences, but never where I heard. I was thinking I was going to walk into this room. If I could take my bag for that first time I walked in, I was going to walk in the room with a bunch of low lives, like people like right. lowest of the church. And we're in San Clemente, California, where uh, every general, I would say, net income is yeah. median. It's, nice it's probably a couple hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand yeah. up, right? So, but I still had that mindset. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in there with the lowest of the low. So doctors, lawyers business owners right and so being a young kid at the time i'm like whoa because i had a lot of shame myself everyone's shaming themselves right anyone who's choosing to continue to live in a certain way yeah trust me you, you the reason why your shame is not working is because they're already shaming themselves and they don't that's the problem they don't know how to get out of that right so when i walked in there i'm like whoa like these guys like on the outside i would never know some of them of course because they're still in their addiction but the ones who are, had 10 years sober five years sober one year sober you're like Really? Like, and then they tell stories like mine. I'm like, oh, well, you stole from your parents too. You stole from your friend's cabinet too. Or, you know what I mean? You lost everything at one point. And now you're extremely successful in all the aspects, not just financially, spiritual as well. So, so, so I'd have to wait once a week to get that. That's so, what I was getting yeah. at. And so he was intrigued by that. He's like, wait, what? And him being in the, like, calling, he's like, he's a, he's a proactive member. Like most members. You going to let me tell my story? Oh, yeah. You can tell your story. <laughs> But, but you up, bro. really I mean, quick though, yeah. that's that's crazy. <laughs> that that's crazy that we really only had down that here, once a week. Yeah. And before you get into it, what would you say is like the biggest difference between that meeting and like a regular AA meeting? Are they the same format? Is it just that yeah. God is uh, you, you're, you're, yeah, you're so using an LDS viewpoint or or yeah? Christ since viewpoint? AA started, there was two basically half. A was split in half in the beginning. Half of the members of AA, the original hundred members back in the '30s, were. Um, like they didn't believe in anything and the other half believed in Christ and right. God, right? They okay. found that through their recovery. So they realized right away that like some of them were like, hey, we want to have religious. So some groups, you can go to some AA meetings where they do talk about, like they have an... They, always, they all talk about higher power, but some yeah, of them more specific. Yeah, higher always hear, yeah. especially like in the movies, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And AA will give, um, just like our, they gave permission to our church, they'll give permission to anyone as long as you don't go try to sell things off of their name. So if you just write them and get qualification, we found that out later, that they'll give it to anyone. And so... Our church, smart, they took it, this off thing that was already working for almost 70, 60 years or whatever when they started it, um, and it was working, so they just implemented our scripture. So the difference, big, when I went to an A meeting versus this, is obviously uh, we pray before. Some meetings do that, though, but this one specifically prayed. They talked about, you know, scripture. If You know, you go through the manual online and the church's website, every scripture is, you know, there's a lot of scriptures in there yeah. that are all Book of Mormon, Bible, you would never see that in AA. It's right. just about uh, principles, like you know, that like how to get honest with yourself, you know, how to how to come clean, how to make same gospel principles, which would be universal to both. You, but yes, here's through the difference. Ours give scriptural references we or yeah. or prophet quotes that reference those principles. Up. Back it up. So cool. when if you're a member, so you spiritual walk in, backing yeah, to yeah, it, yeah. sort of a secular. You hear you hear you have a step saying get on or go make restitution. You're like, dude, I'm not gonna go like come clean to people. But then they give you like 15 different scriptures that say, hey, listen, everyone's had to do this at one yeah, point. Like Alma the Younger did. Here's yeah. how he did it. Here's Absolutely. Sons of Messiah did. It. Yeah, yeah, 
And you're like, oh, okay, maybe I can do it. Yeah. So that's the biggest difference is that oh, it's great. like you're like in a you're like in a church meeting, but you're not at the same time because the level of honesty there's like it's insane. Like I've I had always been that kind of person, but once again, most people aren't that way. Like and uh, to go in there and you hear these people, they were talking about their past mistakes, but in a way where I could tell they felt no shame anymore. Yeah. And for someone like me who was full of shame and still in my problem, you're like, how do I? Yeah, I want what that person has. Yeah. I'll do whatever. And then you get to this point where you go, I'll do whatever you say. Like, whatever you say. And then, boom, that's how it starts. So, Jay's describing the meeting like this on our way to surfing and back from surfing all the time. I'm like, I got it. Can I go? Can we go? Yeah. So, what was your take on that? So, same thing. I was was expecting, like, they don't all look like Jay in this meeting. So, they got to look like the riffraff of the church, you know? Um, And nothing. You know, you see some people were in there that when they shared, they were like a couple days sober. But for the most part, these were professionals. These were Relief Society president, presidencies. They were, you know, the callings they had. I recognized some of them because I'd been lived here so long. And it was the most spiritual meeting I ever felt. Um, And I walked out of there and I remember going, dude, Jay, why the heck don't we have one up by us? Why do you think that was? Just the sheer amount of humility? The spirit just testifies of truth. There's truth. There is truth and solution being shared and yeah. lives, testimony of lives being changed to the atonement. And not a lot of ego and opinion. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't. And usually is what happens in our court. Nobody did that. No, not it, that Sunday school class with the same person raising their hand. With yeah, the right and my personal bias is like, oh, back on my, they share back on my mission. Da, da, da. Like, yeah. okay, this isn't your mission. This was last week. This was yeah. yesterday. Yeah. You're sharing a very real experience of applying the atonement. And it wasn't someone, you know, a story about someone I taught on my mission 20 years ago. Yeah. So it was just, uh, it was just very, very powerful. Um, so I just, I got on and started doing research. And that's when I found out, I'm like, this was in 1885. The church got permission from AA to do these steps. 1985. 1985, sorry. And I remember going, Jay, did you know that? And you're like, no. I was pissed. To be honest, I was pissed because I was like, dude, I joined the church in 2005. I was born in 86. They, like... Yeah, I understand they, the church didn't have it really going. They just got permission. Made, yeah. made I don't something. think the manual was was created at that point. Whenever um, it was created, the point was I joined in 2005. Uh, I came in on... 02. So 02. Okay, so still, once again, three years before I joined the church. I joined the church as someone who did drugs from 11 years old to 19 at that point. I was on my mission. I cleaned up, get sober. Now I find myself addicted to painkillers. Bishop saying cool, we're going to read the scriptures together and that's going to solve it. I'm like, dude, I love this. I don't have a problem with reading the scriptures. I have a problem with, yeah. I don't want to take this pill, but I can't yeah. stop. Like, like, and it's real. Like, I'm a pretty self, like, dude, I joined the church at 19. I mean, you know, obviously a lot of people do you that. You made a lot like, of life changes I made the it. choice. No one made me yeah. do that. I didn't follow a girl. And, like, and, I did this on my own. And reading your scriptures and prayer wasn't enough. Wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't enough. I went to institute. I was active. I never missed a Sunday. I stayed all three hours and yet... I, when I got alone, I couldn't control some of my behaviors anymore and, and became disconnected eventually from the spirit. And none of this was handed to me. Bishops and state presidents who were loved me, I know they did. I, I know that now. I had a lot of resentment at one point, but I know they loved me and they were trying their best. They just didn't have, they didn't even know the own tools. That yeah, they, they were being ignorant to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they just didn't know. Like, I would have done the same thing. On my mission, I did the same thing. I was like, if you know this, you pray about it and you'll be, you know, because at that point, I hadn't, that's what worked. Well, and in, on your mission, you see people stop. They get sober, but they're not in recovery. And that's why a lot of people leave the church. They, they've been drinking their entire life. They hear the missionary discussions. They become converted. And then all of a sudden, they're at church a couple weeks, and all of a sudden, they don't show up. You show up at their house, and they're smoking and drinking again. You're like, what? Don't you yeah. believe this oh, anymore? Yeah. Don't yeah. you believe this anymore? 
and, like, and they don't know how to reconcile it. And so now I'm like, duh, like, I, I, I was not, I wasn't mad. I was like frustrated. Like, this is such a tool. I knew people in my yeah. mission. I knew, I knew people, family friends. family, friends. I knew people right, like they could have benefited from this. And so, um, I got on a, I, I just also think of the shame, like the extra shame of being LDS and hold, being held to such higher standards. If you are addicted to something that you know is like also a sin, and then you're like, oh crap! Just addiction in general, like being. Like, how like, do you still participate? Because you, you know, and that's why people bounce, right? And yeah. there's like, there's actually that's um, such a good example that you bring up because that was, there's so much shame. Then now it's like I can't control this thing. Right. I must and be also, something wrong like, with me. This thing that I love and and the, the Lord who loves me and wants me to participate in this wonderful church. And now I I, I don't feel like I can. Well, there's a psychological. I'm, my daughter's majoring in psychology, but there's a there's a a, a professional uh, t- title to that where they can't reconcile it. So then they go, well, I can't stop this, so the church must not be true. Right. Right? Like, they have to reconcile it, and there's no other way to, like, they have this conversion. There's studies done just with AA and people trying to overcome, you know, addiction outside of our church that when they come from a religious Mm -hmm. background or belief, they're like 9 out of 10 more likely to not make it because of that level of shame. Because it's tied to not choices, it's tied to, like who you are as a person and and the shame is bigger usually so when people like administrators from you think it'd be the other way around like if i i own a recovery center like a rehab and i get a, a guy that that comes in or a girl that's from a church background we would normally think like oh this is good i got a base i can work with i can talk about a bigger picture no it's actually 10 times worse usually if someone comes in a non-believer you can teach them about a life being bigger than themselves because it's a new concept yeah but if it's a concept they've already believe in They've created so much shame within themselves. Right. You have to break down layers and walls that have been. I mean, you know, yeah, right. We all. It's know almost even harder. It's it's harder. That's that what way. that's what the studies well, show. And I um, on it. I met with some pastors around a time about addiction recovery, and that's because the religious group, the normies like me, don't understand it. So right. we can't give. They come to us for advice. Which and is obvious got, in the whole script, read your scriptures yeah, and pray. Yeah, <laughs> but my advice is is not thorough. It's not good enough. Yeah, and like that's um, part of recovery for sure. sure. Yeah. But there's other things that like other tools, the, the real technique, like thing, technical things you need to do, um, which, i.e., the twelve steps. Like they break it down in a systematic way that um, if you do it, the success. Like people who do it make it. People who don't don't. It's that simple. Right. And like it's been tried and proven over years. In fact, like the reason why it's so confirmed in people's minds now that this works, these 12 steps, whether it's in the church or out, is because of all the people that don't make it when they don't do it. Like that's how we all learn. Is like, yeah. okay, and imagine you're going to this meeting every week or twice a week or three times a week. You see people come and then go out. It teaches you every time, okay, see, that didn't work. That person thought he knew what was up, and for a while it looked like he didn't know what was up or she knew what was up, but then now all of a sudden now they're back on the bottle. And then you're like, okay. Now I know, like, but Joe over here, like, every week is, like, here every week. He does it. He does everything this thing says. And look at him. He's 15 years into this thing, and he's solid. He's never relapsed once. I'm like, okay, I want to do what Joe does versus so-and-so who left. So I heard all these stories in the meeting, and I went, and I'm like, Jay, I'm going to get a meeting up in north north of San Clemente. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure out how to get my brother-in-law was in a stake presidency in a neighboring stake. I knew our stake presidency, and I just started pestering him, like, hey— did you know about this meeting down here? We need to get one up here. Like people are driving 30 minutes going down there. Um, And uh, our stake president said, well, we have addiction, uh, pornography one. I'm like, we do? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that. Like 10 years? Yeah, like we do. Like I remember there was some pornography meeting, but I thought, I didn't know what it was about. There was no, 
I mean, it didn't. I didn't understand it was a twelve step, and that like people could get recovery. Church. I, and, and well, no, I mean, I remember. I remember one time even. Uh, there was like a, a website that someone had sent as a resource. It's like, here's how you can download and try and recover from pornography addiction mm-hmm. on your own. You know, like, because it is so, like, yeah, yeah. there was so, so much yeah. negative, yeah, so much shame involved yeah. and not wanting to be forefront. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So our stake president, he was, uh, the other stake was like, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we need it. We have a problem over here. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. So our state president's like, we'll do it, and you're going to lead it up, Brad. So go for <laughs> it. You talked about it now. It's and then I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I became a student of AA, NA, ARP, and I just dove in. I went to every meeting I could go to, AA or, or ARP, went to the sex-only meetings, the drug-only meetings, to really become now, a student. did you have to tell your wife you had a problem, or what was going on? No, <laughs> because I had shared with her about Jay, yeah. and like, you know, I'm like, he's very open. Jay broke anonymity and was very open about it, and so... I'm like, hey, I'm going to go to this meeting, and hey, state president wants me to do this meeting, and she's like, all right, you know? Yeah. And then I had just come off, I don't remember what my calling was, but I was kind of in the in-between of like a decent-sized calling, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I hadn't had a big calling, and so she's like, oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah, now you're going to be busy. Yeah, like now you're going to be busy, right? Like, okay. So she was stoked. She's always super supportive. Um, and then, so we started our meeting on Cinco de Mayo uh, three years ago, mm-hmm. and... Um, as we're doing the meetings, I'll lead to how we get the podcast. Um, you know, we didn't, to this day, sometimes we don't know if anyone's going to show up for our meeting. So yeah. we're there and we're like, we hope someone shows up. And then we walk out, like, that was the best meeting we ever had. Every week, I swear yeah, we say that. To like 30 something people that come. Um, you know, like people are driving from other counties now because they hear about it. You know, someone heard the podcast and they're telling them about it and they're in town. So they want to go and see. And then they come and they're like, oh my gosh. Wherever they lived in New Jersey or New Hampshire, wherever they're from, they realize like, oh man, it doesn't have to be just a missionary couple and me and one other guy or girl. There, there's there's a lot of us out there because once again, you, you think you're terminally unique. Like when you get really down in real addiction, I'm not talking about like, okay, you're not living the gospel right now and things aren't going. No, I'm talking like severe addiction. Like your your life, you keep going. To life is same, unmanageable. Unmanageable, and it's the same cycle over and over again. You're losing friends, family, and jobs. When you're at that level you really start to believe there's something wrong with you. Because you're like, dude, what's wrong with me? Like, I know better when I can't stop, yeah. right? And then then in the church on top of it, you're like, dude, all these people seem to be great on Sunday. What's wrong with me? And then you go in there and you go, wait a minute. I'm not the only one? So I, part of the uh, an ARP meeting or an AA meeting is a sharing portion. Mm-hmm. So before, after the reading, if you read from the big book from AA, you read from the, the ARP manual, there's a sharing portion. And the facilitator the addict who's in recovery, who the who leads the discussion, shares their experiences with that step, and so Jay is the facilitator, and he would week after week share his experience with the step, and um, you can hear his passion when he talks about it right here, right? And so I'm sitting right next to him every week, going, "This is gold! Like, why we're sharing it with these 20 people here in this room, but like." I know there's people across the freeway and all these other places that would that need to hear this information. I remember you talking about listening to to anything, you know, Eminem on repeat. You listen to anything to do with recovery. People listen to. It's got a whole album called Recovery. Whole album yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, Which I listened to on nonstop when I got sober. But but you also said I, had to go I to wanted to, there was secular religion. stuff. And yeah. so I'm like, man, if we could we could get this. He asked me flat out, is there an LDS thing to yeah. this? And I'm like, dude, unfortunately there isn't. Like, you know, like that just specifies on recovery all day long. There's just nothing I could find. So I would have listened to it. Yeah. You know, I needed it. So I've been listening to Richie's podcast, yeah. Um, yeah. The Cultural Hall. And then there's a few, at that time, 
you know, a while ago, there's these other LDS podcasts where basically, here's how I can tell you how to get out of the church. Like, I hate the church. I'm going to yeah. pretend like I'm a member, but yeah. let me talk you out of the church. Mormon you know, stories and there you go. Yeah. There so is. Yeah. the and, yeah. and, and I, 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 I really, <laughs> I really despise those because you're wolves in sheep clothing. Don't you yeah. know, they were pissed when they get excommunicated because all of a sudden they can't say they're Mormon anymore. Like right. you're just going to church once a month so you can say you're Mormon. So you have some credibility anyways. So I but so then I but Richie, I um, I don't know him on the radio personality, but I knew yeah. X96 was kind of an edgy station. I went to school oh, yeah. there, and that morning show, they're pretty much anti-Mormon guys. Yeah. And that's their shtick. Yeah. But I'm like, this guy's kind of cool. Like, he's just a normal dude, and he brings somewhat controversial topics, And I, but he always, he has the, he ha, he backs up the church. So we're hunting. And Jay- he's had a very, uh, yeah, yeah. not straightforward history. With no, the he, was he was excommunicated. He yeah. himself, which he talked about openly yeah. on our podcast, which I found I mean, the guy is fascinating. I don't know if you met him. In, Not in person. person. Yeah. Uh, he is a kook. <laughs> I'll just tell you this. When when he, when we did the podcast in person, and he was early, and he hadn't slept all night. So he was just. I found him sleeping in his car up front of my house. <laughs> and I had to knock he on the window, and he's like, oh, hey. Out it's in me, Utah. Richie. Out in Utah. Utah. How are you doing? <laughs> Were you in Utah? Or in Utah? Yeah, in Utah. Because okay. so, he'd been working at the radio station okay. like, all night. Got yeah. out sleep. Yeah. But he's, he's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so we went hunting Jay and I were hunting and I'm like, Jay, we're in the hot tub after a night of hunting or day of hunting. And I'm like, <laughs> a Jay, bunch of people, not just each everything time. comes out in the hot tub. Yeah. Not, we had a whole group. The there. Dating side, it's like true also. serum. Yeah. But, but comes out. we had a group of friends. I'm like, Jay, I got this crazy idea. Tell me what you think. I'll never forget. It. I was like, I'm like, <laughs> we the podcast I listened to at that time was Joe Rogan podcast, like a million views. I I'm still like, listen to Joe Rogan. I don't every, every one. And like, so like I'm thinking, podcast that's all I had experience with podcasts. Yeah. Like no one else could entertain me that much. Yeah. So I would just stop listening. And yeah. That one. And so when he said podcast, I'm like, I love that it came from you, you know? Because yeah, you think it'd be like the young guy that's like, yeah. have you heard of podcasts? Yeah. But you're like, yeah, I'm the youngest old guy here. Youngest old guy I know. <laughs> for sure. So that's a, Jay, that's awesome. Jay was like, yeah, sounds good. And, and we asked In my buddies. mind, though, I was like, <laughs> I was like, no one's going to listen. I have an ego for sure. And I want to, I, yeah. I want people to hear me, but who's going to, how are they going to find an LDA? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. didn't have experience at all with sure, LDA sure, podcasts. Sure. So, so, but he so was all gung ho about it. When, when I commit to do something, I do it. So I'm like, oh, cool. Jay said, yeah. So I bought a mic. I just studied said, how to do a podcast, yeah. how to, how to do everything. Test recorded, and I'm like, okay, Jay, let's do it. And he's like, what? Wait, take me back really quick to the, <laughs> to the conversation about doing it as a podcast. Yeah. Talk about um, what you thought of that platform was format? important to do as a podcast. What the format time on our recovery? Yeah, just because I thought this, this should be a, this should be a podcast. We should do it as a podcast, and what because, your goal for what? Because the ARP's been around since '02. This manual's been around since 2002. Nobody's heard of it. No one's ever heard of it. <laughs> no and one. people are dying. I knew people, divorces, death, leaving the church, everything, and they had no idea this exists. None of the bishops knew. I didn't like. No one knew. And I'm like, that's if, and the church is pretty strong here, right? Yeah. Like, if we have no idea what it is. You know that's Insane the case. Insane resources, else. like people um, that are willing to spend all their, like yeah. not guys that just make it. They're like willing to help people out all the time. However, this was the people were literally dying. Like I was dying. Like, and and just hearing time. Jay's shares, I'm like, I know there's moms that want to hear that for their sons that are addicted. I know that there's people that want to hear that. Like I don't know. I just felt super. I guess I can say impressed, inspired. The spirit sure. told me like you got to do this. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't know how to do a podcast. I learned how to do it. I sat here where you're looking, and I'm researching how to do a podcast. I'd watch the videos and like, mm-hmm. oh, they use a Garage Band. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool, it's Garage Band. I do it like, and I just figured out how to do it. Um, 
And then then he hits me up a month later after we had said committed me to do it, and then I didn't really think it was that committed serious. Committed to baptism, yeah. exactly right. Uh, <laughs> this guy's good. Bro. He said yes. I said yes, and, and in his mind, if you say yes to him, dude, you better be willing to back it up. Otherwise, that. he's gonna shame you for not doing it, and then <laughs> uh, and then find someone else. And he even said that in a text, uh, like. I remember telling my wife, like, I'll never forget it because I was like, like, babe, like, I get what he's saying, but I'm like, who's going to really listen to us, right? Like, uh, of course the message is there. I, that's why I broke yeah. anonymity. I felt the same way. Yeah. But I'm like, who is going to find this and who's going to listen to it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then when he finally was like, dude, if you don't do it, I'm going to have someone else do it. I'm like, I had someone backed up. I yeah, he's up. like, I had someone else. I'm like, well, I know I'm pretty good at talking so I'll do it and then we did I was like I'll just do the one and see what happens so yeah. finally we do the one we sent it to our friends first sent it to our friends first see what, and and to be honest like our first take was so fun and like uh, just like it is now right? like it's easy it's easier than you think it's going to be you build it up what it's going to be yeah, but it's a conversation it's a conversation we would have we hours we serve every day you know for the most part and so it was like all these conversations with all these people and then all we had to do is record it that's yeah. it and then put it out there and then the feedback we got from our friends so we sent it to people who were not addicts like yeah. uh, 10 guys right mm -hmm. and, and their wives and stuff had them listen to it and um, normal people and they're like dude this is amazing we say um a lot yeah, oh, they, yeah that was the only <laughs> criticism you say um a lot and I'm like well, I got you. that same one I say so like you. too much yeah, yeah. but I, I love that because the, one of the things that I think from your pod, like my podcast is essentially it covers so many topics that it's really just Sort more to entertain than anything, and so I thought if, if if people just enjoy it, that could be what I get from it. But oh. your podcast um, could that that topic of addiction recovery could change somebody's life. I found myself as a listener to your last episode, being putting myself in a lot of situations, not only talking about you know are there things that I may be yeah. close to being addicted to, or I come from. And I'm just going to ask you, since we're I'm, yeah. I'm breaching this subject, my dad is an addict, has mm -hmm. been an addict for half my life, and to very scary drugs, methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, c talking about, you were talking about family members choosing not to be victims either. Mm -hmm. You know, and I have lots of siblings, and we were, yeah. you were sort of having that conversation. And, and um, so I was getting a takeaways of, like, how do I best help this person? Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, if this is just one person that's getting what I'm getting out of it, like it's worth having, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but also, I do want to know the answer to that question yeah. um, in terms of like what what do you hear from uh, family members or feedback from pe listeners about dealing with people that they love that are dealing with addiction? Well, we get a lot of questions like that, and so most um, people like if if you came to me and said, "Hey, my dad's an addict. How do I help?" Um, one of the questions is, well, if they don't want to help themselves, there's not much you can do. So you need to worry about yourself. Um, he's an adult, you're an adult. And um, there's an analogy of addicts, family members of addicts tend to walk behind them like, hey, come with me. They chase after them yeah. and they ruin their life too. And, and they statistic, become the they become part of the problem. They get sick too. Even though you're sober, right? You're not taking the amphetamines. Yeah. You're not taking the amphetamines as the sun. But you're caught up in their addiction. Anyone in that addict's life, it's like, that's what we call it a disease. Not, not necessarily just because it is baffling, it kills so many people. It's in a sense like, it's like a cancer, right? Like cancer attaches to a healthy host and then destroys it. And that's what addiction does. If I'm an addict and you three are my family members, I promise you, if you spend close time with me or even once a week with me, once a year with me, I'm going to ruin your life. Like that's what happens. And, and and so we, that's what he's talking about. From, you from a personal first. perspective, I mean, it's exposed me to so many negative things that I would have other, otherwise not 
Mm-hmm. So I've been around that when I'm close to it. I mean, I've tried every, as, as he has five kids, so we've all, we, we kind of, we're always in communication. Yeah. Uh, my sister has always been like, my little sister has always been like the, she's there for him no matter what approach. Yeah. Um, so he take, he manipulates her and then she's part of it. I've gone back and forth between tough you're love down. to you're out of my life to maybe I'll try this approach or that approach. And I guess it doesn't really matter what I do. Well, no, there but, is, no, it does. Yeah, yeah, it no. does. And so, so what he was getting at, you finish that and then I'll So, so, um, I've become such a believer in these 12 steps that, you know, the, 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 the line I read every week, family and friends who practice these same 12 steps will find hope and healing for themselves is a very real thing. So, so what if, does that mean? That means if you take this book, the same book that a methamphetamine or a heroin addict or a pornography addict, and you do these steps, which means you read it, and whether you're in a meeting doing it or you're doing it on your own, you read the step and you answer these questions in the back, you're going to find hope and healing for yourself. Um, I would also recommend... How you, to deal with that person. Yeah, yeah, you learn how to deal with addiction. That addiction's not about anybody else. It, you know, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's not the family's fault. Um, but there, but also you realize there's a solution. And if and for me, I would go to meetings as well because then you can see there is a solution, and the solution is setting healthy boundaries s- and and, yeah. and being making sure you're, there's a fine line between family members. They walk of this love and enabling, like you said, and. There's no real. I feel like it's such a fine line. It's such a fine line, but there's actually a proven method that works. Like I mean, and any ad- alcoholic or addict who makes it and they get sober will tell you exactly how to do it. You know, one. You know, first thing, if my, if your if your mom makes your bed for you every day, then you're not going to make it yourself, right? It's that simple, okay? When you're a kid, and then all of a sudden she tells you to make it, you don't want to, and it's conflicting, right? And, right. And things she tells you to do one thing, but then she complains, but then does it, right? And then so then you're like, I just know I just don't have to do it. Eventually, she's going to take care of it for yeah. me. It's the same thing in life, right? And so uh, what he's saying is if, if family members will go to these meetings, what they'll find, first of all, is that there is hope. People do change, mm-hmm. which most people eventually, family members lose hope, and now you'll get hope. Well, after the third or fourth relapse and third time into Hundreds rehab, relapse, right? like it, he, he does this thing where he goes to a program that's literally, he's retired, so yeah. he can spend a week or, yeah, or 10, 20 days at a treatment yeah. center, and then... He comes out and he's good for a little, and then he stops going to meetings, and you can't force him to go to meetings. And he feels like he's beaten it, or he even he says maybe he hasn't, but that he feels really good and he's healthy and he's got influences in his life. Yeah, and and so for us, I'm like I'm hearing this again, and I'm like I'm out. So or you know, so that's the biggest thing I've learned too, because I remember asking like, you have to Jade, you have to go to meetings your whole life, and you're like, yeah, and as soon as the I feel like I should go to a meeting. The feel, the feel, the the feel, the message I got was if you want to, what gets you sober won't keep you sober, and you got to keep going to meetings and go to meetings and you got to serve other people. Sober won't keep you sober. Yeah, so he's getting sober, but he's but he's got to keep changing it, it up. It says and in the so, big book. It talks about people like this. It says unfortunately the only ones that that don't make it in this in this program and they're talking about alcohol is anonymous, but this goes with all addiction is those who are incapable of lying to themselves. And it says those are such unfortunate. They're, they're capable of being honest with themselves. Those are such unfortunates. You know, they seem to lack the ability to accept reality for what it is, right? And so the reason why I self-identify as someone that's going to have to, accepting that I have to go the rest of my life, I already, that's half the battle. Now, now I don't have to, I've ridded myself from the opportunity to think I'm good and I got this thing figured out. Because once again, I don't learn really from what, how it works from people. I learn from how it works by people who fail. 
See, that's something unique. Yeah. Most people in life, if we're talking about business, you read the book on you how they follow succeed. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, how yeah. did he do it? Which you should still do, right? <laughs> you should still know, but you should also learn about how people fail at business. Yeah. So that way you don't repeat their mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I hear an old timer who's got 30 years sober and um, say, hey, I've been coming to a meeting every week for 29 years, even though I got sober in the 80s, I go, okay, that's crazy. I don't know if I want to do that. But then I hear a guy come in and goes, Tells a story just like you said about your dad. He's in and out, in and out, and he's still got his justifications. And I be five years. There was five years. Oh, totally. I've heard that a hundred times. Like it's just, unfortunately, it's not unique. You know, yeah. like I hear this, and uh, I, I'm listening to these two. The, the guy who's been sober for 29 years, the guy who's on and off for 29 years. Right. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna listen to both of them and go. Okay, what's working? What's not? Right. And then I go. Okay, I don't. Okay, I don't ever want to think. I my brain finally goes. It starts clicking. and Goes. Okay. The minute I think I got this thing beat is when I'm going to relapse. So if I always just self-admit that I'm just one bad decision away from going right back to where right. I was, that's a humbling experience, right? takes the ego out of it. Ego's edging God out. That's the acronym for that. And um, I try to really live by that. Oh, I like that. That's good. Right? I don't, I've never heard that. That's a good one. Say that again. Louder. Yeah, yeah. So ego is edging God out. And think about that. You could do that. That applies to so many things in life. But... Um, when us addicts, everyone's got an ego. Everyone's got that ability to edge God out of their life. But those of us who found substance like your dad has or myself, I mean, I was addicted to um, same thing. I mean, Adderall and, and things like that. I abused that for years. And I've met guys who abused it for 30 years, get sober, and now they're running ultra marathon, 200-mile yeah. you know, marathons, and they're, they're sober for long periods of time. It's possible. That person, of course, has to get honest with themselves. What I suggest to anyone who's a loved one of an addict is to go to these meetings, learn all you can about addiction so you can make sure that you can set healthy boundaries. And then I promise you that addict, even though it may not, um, it may not seem that they're understanding who's really, they know who's enabling them. They know yeah. who's really loving them. They know yeah. who's being tough. Love. They know who gets it too. Here's a question I'd ask too that I know now is who's your sponsor? Because yeah. if you don't have a sponsor, you're so going to relapse. Can you talk a little bit about what a sponsor is and does? Yeah. Yeah, so a sponsor basically is someone who's who's walked through the who's done the steps with a sponsor before and has a certain length of sobriety. Like so, it doesn't have to be that. There's no time limit. You got one week sober and you did all the say you did all the steps in a week. I've never heard that done, but say you did, that's okay. You've done the steps. You can walk someone through it. But generally, it's someone who's been sober for some time. It could be thirty days, ninety days. It could be ninety years. I don't know. Um, but they've done the steps. So I hear a lot in the church culture is like, oh, I'm doing the steps with my bishop. Okay, well, if your bishop's been to the program and steps, he's a great quality. He qualifies himself as a sponsor. If he knows nothing about addiction, he's never taken Me- drugs. Meaning he's an addict in recovery. And meaning he's an addict in recovery, meaning someone who's experienced this before, then great. If he's someone like Brad, like as amazing as Brad is, as much knowledge as Brad is, he could sponsor probably people in a lot of circumstances. But when we're talking about drugs, alcohol, sex, the stuff that is going to kill someone, like if they don't stop, you need, there's a certain level of ability to call people's BS out, right? And uh, a normie that's never done it is not going to be able to do it to someone like your dad. Like, you know what I mean? Like if he was talking to your dad and I was talking to your dad, I could tell stories and relate. Like, dude, I trust me. I know what it's like to take you know, snort 30 Adderalls like in a row and, and yeah. I know what that feeling's like and, you know, and anyways, and all the justifications and excuses and um, so there's that level and there's, it's just like Everest, right? Like, yeah. you're not going to go to someone who's never climbed it. You're going to go to someone who's been there and done it. You're going to end up frozen. So. That, that is something that we found by doing the podcast that the culture of, of Mormon ARP, LDS ARP, is not sponsors. So, unfortunately, so, yeah. so we you found know, it out right away. We're like, oh, we, this is we, scary. Yeah, we get we get we get the manual, and it mentions it uh, roughly in the church handbook, but um, 
most ARP meetings are led by a sweet, lovely senior missionary couple who know nothing right. about it. All they have is this manual, and they read what's online. And they just right. want to serve. And they want to want serve. The right thing. Right. Good people. God, God's in the right place. Hundred percent in the right place, but they're it, not perfectly ill-equipped. Perfectly ill-equipped, and they don't have someone like perfectly Jason right next to them because I. I just basically set the meeting up, but I couldn't do anything without Jay in a in a twelve step meeting. And then I can't sponsor someone, so right. I need to have someone so that's in recovery. That's all I was sponsor people. Yeah, yeah. And I was everyone sponsoring the meeting until now. We've got a foundation now where I could walk away, and that meeting's going to run on hopefully forever. So a lot of the sponsorship provides you. That's uh, <laughs> what keeps me sober. So when we read that line yeah. of what gets you sober and what keep you sober. Right. Uh, the 12, there's maintenance steps. Once you get to 10, 11, 12, that's how you stay sober. And the 12th one is given away, right? Yeah. Heard the analogy of, of probably living water, Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, right? Dead Sea gets water in, but doesn't release it, right? And now we know the Dead, I mean, Dead Sea, you can't, there's no fish there. The, the salt and the, the bacteria, you can't do anything there if you go there. But the Sea of Galilee was obviously fed um, mm -hmm. different civilizations for thousands of years. Gets the same water from the same location, actually, but it has a release and gives on. Um, to another lake and to another thing. And the analogy there is, is, is living water and fresh water coming in and giving it out because when you do so, um, obviously there's an attribute of service there which we know is the whole purpose of Christ and the, the atonement, like all this stuff is to give it away. But by doing so, it taps in. I thought I understood recovery um, before I sponsored people and then once I started meeting with now probably 40, 50 different dudes and getting to know their life stories and hearing you know their... Everything I go, whoa! I've learned even more about just like you're doing right now, or when you did when you listen to podcasts, you start thinking and reflecting and connecting more dots. Yeah, it's the same thing, and so by giving it away, I'm able to then. Um, and when you, there's another thing too is when you're focusing on other people, you're not focusing on yourself. See, us as addicts tend to like everyone else. Oh, right. More, we, our consequences are deeper, right? Yeah. You know, I go back to drugs, I die. You know, if you're not a drug addict, you'll probably just not be as good of a person, but you're not going to die, right? right? So it's way more life-threatening if I go back to my old self. So therefore, in order to keep myself not thinking about myself, I can help other people, you know. And but there's also finally in there too. A lot of people, a lot of people relapse because their their quote unquote personal program is really helping other people, and that's. Not so either. Yeah, you, you still gotta that. keep yourself in check. Are you taking care of your spiritual, physical, mental, and spirit? You know these needs. So, so I have bishops who call me like, "Hey, I mean, with so and so, you know, he was sober for so many years. How do I?" And they relapse. What do I say? I'm like, "Call, have him call a sponsor." And they're like, "What?" I'm like, well, "You can't. You can help him repent, yeah. but you're not gonna help the guy get sober. So who's the guy's sponsor? Who's her sponsor?" Does, it, does the sponsor typically need to have dealt with the same issue or just addiction? I used to think so until I realized, till, so I, my first sponsee, like, uh, now I've sponsored people from all sorts of addictions, even though I have a unique situation where I've been addicted to a lot of things. Because so, you guys were talking about this on the last podcast a little yeah. bit about the universality of addiction, yeah. whether or not a sex addict can identify with a drug addict. And, and every sex addict I've asked, because we do Ask the Addict in our podcast, because I'm curious, I'm like, can you relate? Like, be honest with me. When you're sitting when you're meeting. when you're sitting here and you're 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 Peter Priestett except you've got a pornography masturbation problem or did and you're in recovery, can you relate to that cocaine addict or that alcoholic? And they're like one hundred percent. And anyone that can't, they're not getting real with themselves. And I've had even non-members yeah. I've sponsored. So I've since yeah. we've done this, I'm by posting on Facebook, right? And I've had dudes from high school. I've got one guy who's, who's Jewish. We, we we used to party hard together before I joined. Like hard. Like we were we went hard at a young age and went for a long time. And he started coming to our meetings for you know, certain things he wanted to overcome. And uh, right when he came, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, 
I'm, I'm uh, like, hey, dude, do you want to go to like a secular meeting? Like, this is really Christ. Like, I know you're Jewish. And he's like, no, man. And the first thing out of my mouth blew my mind. This is this, this humbling experience and learning more about it. He goes, dude, when I hear someone talk about like overeating, at first, uh, you know, I wanted to think the same thing. Like, oh, you don't get what opiates or alcohol is like. But then when they start to talk about the chaos in their life and the way their brain works, it like helps me see a new perspective I never thought of. And I know that they're just like me. That was his, wow. that's his words that's on so mine. Crazy. So that was like the testimony. It was like, okay, this thing works for everyone and it can be applied to everyone because truth is truth, right? Well, it's like, I'm going to pause it. I felt bad. I was like, <laughs> this sucks. Like, what are you doing? And I don't want to, I don't want to, I have as much time as you guys want, but you know, I want to make sure that if you've got obligations that we get there, but you're good. you're good. Okay. Well, one thing that I was so curious and, and listening to your podcast really, how, how you do you know? My, yeah, I'm, I'm going okay. again. Um, and my question that I had is this, let's say you guys were talking about a concept that I found really fascinating, which was, um, and I'm going to pull it up on my phone really quick because I want to get the verbiage right because I think it was something that Dr. Phil said. Yeah. About the difference between an irresistible impulse, so yeah. addiction, versus um, an impulse that isn't resisted, yeah. which I think probably everybody struggles with the latter totally right so and then whether it's giving into temptation for sure and some people might Not be listening and be like you probably should eating healthy choices yeah right or and, and my question like, is that it's hard to know the difference is it how would you know i feel like for oh for me it's really hard to know the difference yeah. um because yeah, there are some things that i probably do like whether it's caffeine intake or um periods of my life where i've maybe struggled with masturbation or pornography where you're kind of thinking is this something that i can just stop you know, yeah. tomorrow and be fine. Or next time I'm tempted to do it, just not do it. Mm-hmm. Or um, at what point, you know, do you know that you're an addict? Yeah. Which let is me kind answer, of a crazy thought. Let me answer as a normie and tell me if I'm off on this. So as I just pounded my yerba mate with 160 milligrams of caffeine, I have no desire to stop. So And I have no desire because it's not affecting my life. My wife doesn't affect my wife. My wife's not nagging me to stop. Um... I guess it would be if my kids started pounding yerba mates and they're 10 years old, I'll be like, and, and they're like, well, dad, you do it. Then I'd be compelled to stop because it's not healthy for that age. Um, and then I realize, can I stop and actually try to stop? Um, that's probably an example, but, but so then, can you? I don't know. Are they good? Cause I, I want, I kind of tempted to try one. Oh, I love to change your life. <laughs> they never drink another energy. Yeah. What are they called? I got off soda. You're, and you're you're about I don't drink soda. I used to drink. We drink a lot of monsters in oh, this bro, relationship. Get off that. Girl. <laughs> change your life. This is going to change your life. Where do I purchase Help them? Well, edit this part say, out. <laughs> I'm going to give you both the gift of life. You're going to have 10 years added on and you're going to probably have 15 or 10 yeah. as well. I'm telling you right now, cause monsters are going to kill you, right? Yeah. I think it is. I've got like, no, you're going to get park right now. I know what it's like, bro. I used to drink the track. Remember the track? ones the big ones that's like they've got I like a two a day two a day back oh in the day when gosh. i did construction at 18 i did that in flaming hot cheetos that was my meal for oh. the day doing construction and somehow i was ripped too i don't we know are that. yeah brothers. okay well here's the deal so <laughs> with uh, uh yeah you don't have to drink that i'm gonna turn you on some better stuff but yeah. give you more caffeine too um in a healthy way but yeah so what they see in aa in the big book they Hold on, he wants to know where to get them whole foods oh okay. <laughs> Seven Elevens, any health, any health food place has them. Seven Elevens have a competing brand. Deliver them to my office. Yeah, just it's when you get there, the Monte. Boom. That's the brand name. Yeah, and they come in cans. They're Don't flavored. Don't text you pictures. Of yeah, we'll get you. <laughs> you can take my empty can with you. If I'd have known, I'd have gone to get one right out. I was legitimately addicted to like diet, anything like that, and now I, I can't I stand so. This one has like four diet cokes a day. Oh, that'll kill you. My wife just got off. I've been working on her for years, and she finally stopped. And a buddy of mine. But but if I wanted to stop and I couldn't. 
then I would I would apply these 12 steps and I would ask Jay to sponsor me and I'd walk through because you go through maybe psychological withdrawal. I'd probably have a physical withdrawal with caffeine with headaches because on Fast Sunday I do. Um, but I would go through those same 12 steps. Um, but I, my other litmus test would be if, if I'm breaking commandments that I know I shouldn't be and I can't stop, then maybe that's another indication that it's resisting. Uh, what, what was the terminology that Dr. Phil said? Uh, the impulse, irresistible impulse. So my answer to that question is the way it's the way it, I just go back to the big book. It's super simple. They said if you don't think because they were their their big principle back then was like we're not to call you an alcoholic. Cool, someone's called you that. Great, grand, wonderful. What we want to do is if you think you're not an alcoholic, go down to your local bar today and try some controlled drinking. If you can do that, if you drink a couple drinks and then come home and stop at two drinks, you're probably not an alcoholic, which is true. Like my family who's now members drink and I, I talked about that on the podcast. There's, I don't believe alcohol is bad for everyone. There's some people that can control. Obviously, is it the best thing for you on a long-term basis? We know that health-wise, no, of course not. But I would never tell someone not to drink just because I'm Mormon and I don't believe in it right. as a commandment. You, you do what you need to do for your life, but be honest with yourself. And uh, it goes like that. He says, if you can control, do some controlled drinking, that's fine. So I would say to someone, if, if I'm thinking, do I drink too many Diet Cokes a day? And is it, I know it's bad, but this, that, and the other. I'd say, okay, try to stop. Can you and can you not, right? Is it becoming a manageable? Think about the things you're losing versus that and the sacrifice. So um, that would be my thing, and, and I'd go from there. And then obviously it takes real reflection and, and honesty. And But I would just say that. It's like most people can't stop. Yeah. Um. What what kind of you, you you said you do sort of like an ask the addict segment and you get a lot of emails that you talk about people that you've talked with that listen to the podcast. Yeah. Are there any sort of like recurring themes or things that you get um, asked a lot that are or um, certain addictions that you hear the most about or or certain things that come up more often than not? Our most listened to podcasts are related to pornography and sex. Um, but I, I'd say most of our questions are opiate related, like emails and, and maybe direct messages. I think that's kind of the, yeah. I don't know why that, why that is, or it's different. Um, I think like you said in the beginning, like our generation, like we're, we're in a different generation than we were in the thirties. Like you said, it was alcohol based mm-hmm. at the time. Like now the modern addiction, not, I mean, yeah, there's a lot for sure, but it's, prescription drugs right we know we live in a drug culture more people take the statistics are next level like they'll change they'll blow your mind away. And, and i also think in church culture it's if the doctor gave it to me like I said, my, my drug dealer is my doctor who's also my bishop these are cool like i can drugs, it's sure. so easy to justify yeah i legitimately justified i wasn't lying like i was i believed what i was saying to people i wasn't an addict like i believe that even though like i couldn't see the past you know that but and, and then um what's the other thing uh, pornography, pornography sex. yeah we're naturally Obviously. born to be attracted to sex like we wouldn't procreate i think that was so. especially tough just talking to clay and what his organization does is that it does alter your brain a lot of the, a lot of the same without, ways a, that without an to, external chemical that's the crazy no part and it's something that to your point is natural we're meant to we're meant to do it you're meant and and we're meant to to enjoy it yeah you're meant to thrive in fact and you don't thrive without it so like that's a crazy like alcohol i can just stop and i'll be better right like i said naturally like you can just not go into a bar but like if you're married it's sex is going to be a part of your marriage hopefully and it needs to be healthy it needs to be part of your marriage yeah like that's an it's a gnarly one however we've seen people that were as a i mean they have done the same amount 
of damage to get their drug, which was sex and pornography of whatever it was in different forms, as I would for drugs, like actual pills or, or alcohol or whatever. And they, the, the amount of mismanagement and un, unmanageability and chaos is identical, identical. And like the amount of lying is all the same, it's all the same. And I've seen people recover with 100% accuracy, just like myself, not taking opiates anymore. Or just wow. not like taking um, amphetamines like we were talking about earlier. They, you can do both. Um, what do you guys, what do you guys want what, to, what's the goal for, for the podcast going forward? What would you like to get out of it? How long would you like to continue to do it? Is there anything more you want to do with it? Um, I love it. I think it's so great. Um, I hadn't listened to it um, until you guys reached out to us um, and then started to dive in. But it's, it feels like one of those topics that um, is so important to talk more about, especially within the church. I feel like outside of the church, it's talked more about. Of course. Um, and so for that reason, I think it's, but it's still it's, unknown. You got, what you guys are doing is really important. Yeah. I don't think we have any long-term goals. Most of my <laughs> life, I have everything planned out as far as benchmarks. This is one thing I've, we don't. So I think as long as people are listening and I, we see listeners and I think that's growing, um, as long as we can get time to do it and yeah. as long as we're having fun doing it. And uh, I think the thing that keeps wind in our sails is the feedback we get from people. So when we get an email and we're like, did you see that message? Like, yeah. that's crazy. Someone in whatever town of whatever part of the they world. They have a meeting, but they have our podcast. Yeah, they're like, well, I'm going to... You know, we I have stopped drinking. I stopped drinking. I'm 30 like, days that's or so crazy. Cool. That's and nuts. Because like, I don't get that so way. I've never listened fulfilling. to one of our podcasts ever. Right. Like yeah. you don't listen to yours. Like I, I don't, you don't go it. back that often. Yeah. yeah right. Like Why you don't do it unless you're editing. Right. Or something like that. But um, my goal now, like I didn't have any goals either. I didn't even really want to do it because I just didn't think it would be as effective as it was. And uh, boy, was I wrong as I usually am. I'm usually pessimistic at first and then become extremely optimistic with proof. But uh one one thing is changing the culture. Like I feel like my I'm survived what I survived with my wife specifically, not just by myself. Like mm-hmm. otherwise I'd have another story. But because me and my wife have come back and now help not just addicts but coupled, I feel like me and her's goal is just now starting to like manifest itself. And I feel like there's gonna be like the, there's gonna be a future that's gonna be even bigger than where it's at of 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 of, of, of breaking the shame culture. Like if I I want to I want to like one if I could think of a legacy like hopefully. One day, someone would be like, you know, I, because of so-and-so, did so-and-so, and did this, and did that, and lived this way, I no longer shame myself. Because I lived in shame most of my life, and fear, and resentments, and all these things that a lot of people have deep downside with, no matter drugs or alcohol or not. And uh, I, if I could do anything, that the, the only, because the only negative I've ever really had towards the church, which is just really a byproduct of everything else, too. It's not, it's not a church thing. It's, every, yeah. it's a people thing, which yeah. is... Which is culture and shame and fear and not talking about things and things like that. If I can help, which I literally feel like I can actually see that. I feel like in our stake and in the neighboring stakes around that me and Brad have helped be a part of, uh, I feel like God has used us to break break that shame cycle with a lot of people. Like a lot of people. Like the uh, people know now. Like hey, all I got to do is pick up the phone and get someone to call Jay or Brad or so and so else in the meeting, and. And it's all good, like because here's this normal dude, and here's this normal girl, and here's this, and they're still they're living, they're thriving, and yet they had done everything, if not more, than that person who thinks they're terminally unique. And so, my like, I really want to live the rest of my life to better myself, and then to whatever I get that works for me, I just want to push it on everyone else because there was so I was I'm a I used to thirst for knowledge, and 
Um, when I was stuck for a lot of years, I'm, I'm lucky I didn't die because I lost a lot of my friends. I see people in the church, boys and girls, even doesn't matter their age, uh, die and they don't get that chance. And that's unfortunate because it was there. And it, it was free. It's free. It's free. This is free. And that's what's amazing. The, and the culture I like to change too is there's a lot of the sweet missionary couples that don't, don't know what they're doing and there's resources out there. Um, sadly, um, and I don't, again, I've never lived in talks up going to school, but like it's different when you've got chapels in every corner yeah. than the rest of the country. Totally. And ARP in Utah, even we get a lot of listeners from Utah that still say wow. they don't have sponsors. There's two people in the meeting. There's no, you know, we have a culture in ARP of I get sober and then the bishop says don't go to the meetings anymore, or their wife says don't go, or their husband says don't go. I, I got to tell you, go. being from Utah and having lived there my whole life, I, that doesn't surprise me because yeah. you're going to get noticed. There is a, and maybe people might disagree with me, but I would feel way more comfortable going to a meeting in New York. Yeah. Outside versus, of where you grew up. Yeah, but you could, you, tell, going, you could drive 30 minutes and you'd be five stakes away. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. It, everybody's warm. I don't see that's where it goes back into my goal. My goal is to break. I'm, no, eventually, there's still I the shame culture is all I'm saying. There is. Okay. That sure. Because you're, 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 you're completely surrounded by it. Totally. Whereas here it's like you're, you're this wonderful uh, community in a bigger community that's, yeah. that's, di- that's different. We're peculiar that would have people. Yeah, we're peculiar within, people. And, uh, and a lot of people that aren't peculiar, they're all correct, doing the correct. same robotic thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a, there, whereas here there's just a curiosity about who you are. And we are everybody, the, the expectation there is that you basically already are. And then, yeah. you know, if you're going to, uh, if you're sneaking off or whatever to go to a meeting, you know, it's just kind of like the, the comfortability I that I feel like sure. would be less there. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things that I think a podcast like this or I'll be honest with you, the most popular podcasts we've had so far have been along the topics that are um, taboo, less talked about, and shame-inducing. Pornography, um, obviously addiction recovery now, and um, we had one that, where we talked about sexuality, like yeah. gay Mormons yeah. that want to be gay and be Mormon. Yeah, we interviewed. Yeah, yeah really you know, so it, right which is church. difficult. Yeah. And there's a, there's, a, there's a shame. So... Um, do they you can tell the importance of, of talking about yeah, it. You that, know what I mean? Like, people want this. People, people want, want it. To but but also in a non-Mormon stories-esque aspect. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and the, the whole idea that's what behind ours was like, I'm gay. I'm out about being gay. But I'm participating in, participating in, a ch- in the church. And in ours, it was three guys, and they were all participating in a different way. One guy had a boyfriend. He was out with them. The, another guy was like, I'm going to be celibate, celibate my whole life. And another guy was basically like, I don't know, but I want to participate yeah. in the church as much as I can. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they were all still yeah. very believing, and that was really fun. Yeah. Um, instead of like, hey, this is why I stay, or hey, like, um, yeah. I have bitterness. Right. Nothing like that. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's amazing. Any anytime we can connect to each other as a church or as just people in general and show solutions to life's problems, because we all face them, whether you're... I don't care who you are, what color your skin, what what your background is, what your sexuality, it doesn't matter. You still have to wake up every day and face life. And if, if we can get resources to people to help them better their life doing that, then all the power to it. Boom. 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 Um, did you get everything? Is there anything else like on that you just feel like you need to yeah, say? Because I feel like questions. we've been going on for he a good amount. Yeah, let's do it. Hold on. Let me make sure my mic is... I can hear myself. So, so who's, who's the most peculiar person you've interviewed? Besides us, obviously. Uh, we did an interview with um, my personal favorite interview. No, I said who was most, oh, peculiar. most peculiar. Richie. Richie's <laughs> most peculiar? Most peculiar. Okay. He seems strange. Right? I told he's him so strange. He's so, he's so great. And, and I'm gonna, he's going to listen to this and shoot me a text and be like, you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
He's yeah. He's I, 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 in the middle of the episode, I was like, man, you're so weird. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but don't you have to be do like morning zoo radio? I figured that's just. But it's his natural. He's meant to do that's that. Real. That's his authentic he's person. Hundred percent right? of the time, and he's constant. He'll talk about anything. He'll go there, whatever direction. He's he, basically. Did he get married improv. to that chick that he's uh, posting pictures on? Uh, I don't know. They were okay. in Disneyland recently. So there's okay. Richie was very much the most. I would say peculiar. Okay. But we've had a lot of great guests. How do you get your guests? Uh, Various ways. Sometimes they reach out to us. Sometimes a a friend of a friend. Sometimes it's just emailing them, being like, hey, come on our show. And you have a lot of people listed on your website. looks really good, like someone knows what they're doing. Uh, Thank you. I do that, and I don't. I can tell you I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, Jay looked at our our webpage for the first time today. (laughs) I do have help. (laughs) What is our our webpage, Jay? No idea. 12stepstochange.com. Oh, well, that's actually the thing that we need to get before we end that interview is let's talk about where people can go to find your stuff. So because we're so amateur, uh, our podcast, we called it 12, no, what the Next Step Podcast, because Mm -hmm. Jay's solution is always, what do I do next? Do the next step. Do the next step. If you're on step three, do the step four. If you're on step four, do step five, and that's relating to the 12 steps. Um, But then I bought the URL 12 Steps to Change, because I love, I don't know what the church, if you have contacts within LDS Family Services, because I um, filter it up. Like they were for a while going for the, the terminology 12 steps to change, which I love because it's 12 steps to change anything, whether it's pornography, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever, whatever it is, it's use these 12 steps to change. Um, and so you can search us on iTunes, uh, whatever, Stitcher, SoundCloud, what are some others? There's a bunch of other Google Play, Google Play, um, either I think you can easily find it by searching 12 Steps to Change, and you'll either see the churches or ours. I think we rank higher than the churches. Boom. Um, but it's a picture of some dude walking up on the footsteps. Um, yeah, I like your, I like your podcast logo. It's cool. You can link directly from our web page, which is 12 Steps to Change. Um, right. Our right. codependent Mormon does our web... No, I don't do the web page. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Some One of our listeners. Yeah, she volunteered yeah. to do it. Um, CodependentMormon.com, I think is her name. And so she does our web page. She does resources for that's very So good. for codependency, she we learned a lot from her on our podcast. Um, but those are where to get to it. And, and one of the problems we have, I think, is promoting is no one's going to go, oh, you should listen to this podcast on... On opiate addiction, <laughs> you know, people, people don't want to share, what? right? Like, so we have an inherent problem with yeah. with the marketing because I don't think people push out like yours is like, oh, this is cool, interesting on right. on Richie Stedman or right. whatever. But, but like, hey, push this out, and they're like, well, why are you listening in the first place? Yeah, well, right? <laughs> like, no. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. But it's something that, but think, well, like you said, it's crazy. Like when he shows me the numbers, I'm like, dude, that many people, people are in all these random countries, like yeah. are. are are finding it themselves. We don't do yeah. any social media. Like, we post a little bit on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Not really hard. He usually has to remind me to do it. And then when we do it, like, we get some likes or whatever, but it's, that's not our focus. It's like, not super engaging, and I wonder if it's because of the shame. For sure. I, would I think I think one thing that uh, and if we has helped us in that regard is um, when you find something that's similar and engaging with that via social media, that people that are interested in whatever it was you also engage with might see you yeah. and then engage back with you. Like fight the um, new but it is, Yeah, all of those. Because like, I think that's kind of how we kind of came full circle. Yeah. And I think that we've noticed that work for us Hey, as can well. you get us in touch with those guys? We'd love to. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I follow them on Instagram. They I love that. found them and I... I started sponsoring love, people with sex and I would just text them like their quotes that they put on every day. And they're really cool because it's all science based. It's all yeah. just an education form. They speak at schools. And, and it's not super Mormony, so it's like because I think, honestly, yeah. typically my podcast is meant to be fun, and entertaining. We usually try and we, we're joking the whole time, but I love 
just a deep dive on things that I find super interesting. Yeah. So I'm so great. Same. I'm so glad like we were able to have this kind of conversation because sometimes like this subject, you need this kind of conversation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if you want to be fun about it, but like people are going to get something from the, that. The, so guy, the guy who studied the history of AA talked about AA meetings a bunch of joke, like laughing and comedy, and then you go to Al Anon, which is the spouses oh, or the family members, yeah. and those are all super serious. Yeah, I can see that. Um, There's a lot of irony. There's like yeah. comedy in the fact that like a bunch of people are sitting around talking about like some of the gnarliest stuff. Like most, the public would be like, "Why are you laughing right now?" And it's like, well, it's because like it's kind of funny. Like, why would I keep doing that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And when you overcome it, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Like if you can't laugh, like Gordon B. Hinckley, right? You can't, can't laugh, laugh at yourself it. too. Yeah. The last bit of advice: If you're a church leader, listen to some. Uh, um, you listen to Kurt Francom's leading yeah. LDS. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think He's in the church we get a church leader. calling, and we have to you know fake it till we make it. Mm -hmm. We pretend like we're an expert at whatever our calling is. Um, you're not an expert in addiction. I'm not an expert in addiction. You're not an expert in addiction. You've been through it. But you're more of an expert than I'm because you've yeah. lived through it. Um, that was my favorite. That was my favorite. When I say favorite podcast that we ever did was because I felt like when we were talking and that guy was asking us a million questions, I knew his listeners were the bishops and the sake presidents. People that need to hear, need to hear it. And I that. literally felt like every word I was saying was not my own. Like I had maybe one tone I wanted to go with originally. And then the things we were diving into were like insane. And it just felt, felt good. Well, I think what I'm excited about is my demographic are going to be people that are family members of addicts uh, or young people that are struggling with something. That have never really identified. Never knew that they could. A lot of people this might be something that's unmanageable. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the pornography and sex. You know, young men, even and, and young young women too. It's so normal from yeah. a from a um, society secular yeah. Yeah. that that it's just become it's become something that's really you have to try to avoid no matter. No matter what, now we're you have to go above older generations. Yeah, we're back in the generation. You got to seek it out. Now it's like you have it's to in our face. Yeah, you have to really yeah, try hard. Like the yeah, the people that overcome and generally sacrifice a lot of things that it's not easy. You know, yeah. not just avoiding the liquor store. They have to avoid like social media, unfortunately. Somebody yeah, and you were, you had someone on that was saying like yeah. to to get out of their sex addiction, they had to basically they do turn yeah. themselves off from everything for six months straight. Or yeah. forever, forever. or forever. If you're an alcoholic, you can't have beers in the fridge for your neighbors. Yeah, yeah like you it's keep crazy. pills wrong long enough, I'm gonna take them. Like yeah. no matter how long I have sober, like, yeah. I'm gonna find an excuse. Something life's gonna show up, and that solution will be there. I'm gonna keep talking because if you're in Mississippi and the nearest ARP is an hour away, a lot of people say I'll do whatever it takes to get sober. Okay, I'll drive an hour on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, or you and may be, or may, you may really. be right yeah. now the only person. So. I had someone reach out to me there and they went to an ARP meeting. They brought someone and they're like, that was the worst meeting ever. There was one person there, right? And mm -hmm. they're like, we don't ever want to go back. But keep going back because you're the one that's going to get sober. I would say to your dad, uh, he had five years under his belt. All those, he's going to, if he gets sober and works the program, he think of the experience he has yeah. to help so many people. So every time I hear those stories, I'm like, awesome. That experience he had of relapse, 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 yeah. relapse. Guess what? As soon as you get sober has. and you go sponsor someone, you're going to go save someone's life. Yeah. And that's awesome. And there's a lot of hope, you know, a lot of crappiness that has that addicts get into, a lot of chaos. But I flip and see that not I flip and see, not flipping out of Utah. Flip, flip it. I flip that around and I see. Dude, you have no idea how much, you know, the people that are leading some of our other meetings around here, when they came into our meeting for the first time, so broken, so chaos. Like they were broken. And I'm, I'm like, Jay, that guy is going to be leading the meeting in that town in like yeah. however month. And they are right now. 
because they worked the program, they worked the steps, they got recovery, and now they're saving other people's lives. So, and that can be done. We're not superstars. This can be done anywhere. Um, yeah, I love that about you're just a couple of regular guys that have been through some stuff and yeah. really want to help. Yeah. And uh, so people listening out there that are in the place maybe you were in mm-hmm. can be sitting in your seat yeah. at some point. Yeah, and that's the goal. The goal yeah. is like, hey, like God so can take, 12. yeah, God can take any one of your things and he can he can make a positive out of it no matter what. Like, but you got to find him first. And then once you find him, you got to surrender to him. That's easy to say on Sunday and fast Sunday, <laughs> but it's another thing to do every day. Every day. Every but freaking day. Every day. Out the day. Every day. 365 day. Every year. Like, dude, most people don't do that. Well, you're quite peculiar. No, you guys no. are very familiar. <laughs> you you could close my show for me, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but thanks, thanks so much for thank you know, you. having us. Thank, thank you. you. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll have a circle back where you know we can update you on you know maybe where my dad's at. Hopefully, he's in a better spot. Yeah. And um, really excited to continue to listen to you guys' podcast. Wish you the best of luck, and hopefully, we'll get to do a um, another one of these soon. For sure. Great. Awesome. In the meantime, hope you enjoyed the show, and this has been another episode of the Peculiar People Podcast. Dear Lord, blesses us with love. Please send this day thy spirit from above. As this thy son accepts a call from thee. Help him, we pray, to learn humility. Direct his footsteps every day. And keep him ever walking in thy way. Inspire him as he spreads the gospel plan. Lord, hold him in the hollow of thy hand. In the hollow of thy hand, as he grows from boy to man, help his understanding deepen and increase. In the hollow of thy hand.
Give him shelter in the hollow of thy 